This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there, Thursday edition, busy show today. A lot of Eagles, Johnny Mack in the house, football at four, Andrew DiCecco. Uh, plus, Phillies have the day off, so we'll talk a little Phils to get things started today as really an important stretch coming up for the Phils, and uh, we'll dive into that as they lost that you know disappointing game yesterday. Nothing else you could say other than that's a disappointing loss, but is it a defining loss? Is it the kind of loss that you take a look at and have this uh, bleak outlook on the season because of. And I just can't label it as that. As much as I can be, look, I said I want them to sweep the Reds. Now, I did say I'd like them to take six out of seven against the Reds. They have four with the Reds coming up next week. So what that means is I'd like to see them sweep the four-game set coming up. And I don't think that's asking too much. Six out of seven against a really bad baseball team. I I would have rather, I don't care what method you get there. The method I envisioned is taking these three and then taking three out of four when you face them, you know, next week. But here's the problem I have. I see all these people jumping off the bandwagon. Social media is going nuts because the Phillies lost to the Reds yesterday, and they've been shut out four out of seven times. None of these am I trying to sit here and explain to you as that's a good baseball team. You get shut out four times in, what is it, one, two, three, uh, four times, one, two, three, four times they've been shut out in six, seven games, whatever it is. That's not good. But I would also ask you, are you judging the team as constructed right now as the team we hope to see if and when the Phillies make the playoffs. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. If they got shut out four times in seven games and Bryce Harper's in the lineup and Kyle Schwarber's in the lineup and they are full bore with their regular nine, then yes, you should be gloom and doom. Oh, this offense is too inconsistent. They don't score enough. And by the way, not only have they been shut out, they scored one. Um, they scored uh, two runs in the win against the Mets. They scored four runs in the win against the Reds, which you know, four runs is average. It's not great. The only game that they've really broken out in recent, um, you know, the last what ten days or so is they scored eleven against the Reds. So the offense is clearly struggling. But how many times when we get that Phillies lineup and I open it up and I'm like, man. From like five down, <laughs> you got a lot of question marks. Happens a lot when you got Veerling and Sosa some days, or um, even Marsh. Who I don't know what the story is going to be with Marsh here. I guess uh, he's got the MRI and he might actually uh, get a injured list stint here. All of a sudden, who knows? I mean, that fall it looked a little awkward man it certainly looked awkward so i wouldn't be surprised if they were without him uh for you know the next at least let's say the met series but again i go back to 
everybody sees the Phillies got shut out again. And they lost to the Reds. And it's, oh, I can't believe in this team. This team's not. Listen, I get it. If that lineup that they threw out there yesterday is a playoff lineup, they're going to get shut out. They're going to face Scherzer and DeGrom with that lineup yesterday, and they're not scoring. Now, they get shut out four times in seven games, and you've got Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, and that lineup's got you know a little bit more depth, then I'd be disappointed, and it's fair to be disappointed. It really would be. You can't sit here and tell me, just because you're facing Scherzer and DeGrom, if you've got your full lineup... You've got to scratch out a couple. I'm not asking you to score 10 runs against that group of pitchers, but you got to compete. That team yesterday didn't compete. And guess what? They put a non-competitive lineup out there. And a little bit of it is because, look, they're really, really shorthanded right now. I tweeted out after the game, at Mike Gill Show, give me a follow over there. As much as it's disappointing the Phillies got shut out and lost to a horrible Reds team, you can't expect to sweep every series versus bad teams. They're winning series and without Harper, Schwarber, Marsh, Stott yesterday. After scoring 11 runs day after night, should have been expected. I got a couple responses to that at Mike Gill show. A TD checked in. He said, perhaps every team must play through injuries. Ask L.A. Things got more difficult without Bueller. I agree that every team is battling the injuries. But we're also judging the pot, the Dodgers a little differently right now because they're not at full strength. And Walker Bueller's out for the year. Kyle Schwarber should be back this weekend. Bryce Harper should be back in a couple of weeks. If they were out for the week, for the rest of the season, then I would agree that, hey, this team's not good enough. It's a significant portion of your offense. If they struggle to score with Harper, Schwarber, etc., all not in the lineup, then it's fair to complain. But Walker Bueller's out for the year. So now you have to readjust your thoughts about the Dodgers. I'm getting Schwarber and Harper back. I hope to get Marsh back, although he doesn't add a lot of offense. I mean, he's very good defensive center fielder. But he's not adding a lot of pop to this team uh, or punch to the offense. So it's really the two guys. You know, when Bryson Stott didn't play yesterday, and he's been much better. But... The MRI on uh, Brandon Marsh showed no structural damage. He's got that bone bruise, and I think they said a sprained ankle. But I I guess he would maybe get placed on the injured list, but they're going to wait till tomorrow to to figure all that out. So I'll wait till tomorrow with him to figure it all that out. Uh, A couple more responses at Mike Gill Show, and you can always hit me up on Twitter uh, over there and – Patrick chimes in. He says, agree completely. They pitch terrific again. You can't win every game. Nobody can or does, especially with the players you mentioned out. Uh, with Bryce Harper, uh, Bryce Harper back soon and Schwar back next, just win 80% of the X and you're in. With our players back, their offense will be great. Good tweet, bro. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Um, yeah, with, look, again, it all... If you told me the Eagles played a game, just a random regular season game, week 10 against uh, the Washington Commanders, 
and they lost, but A.J. Brown, uh, Jordan Maialata didn't play. Well, then I'd say, well, and they and they got basically, let's say they got shut out. I'd say, well, it's tough for me to judge their offense when two of the main components of that offense are gone. Right? Now, if you're telling me A.J. Brown and Jordan Maialata out for the year, then yes, I'm going to reconfigure my thoughts. Uh, Glenn chimed in. He said, shut out four of the last seven games is really bad. They may make the playoffs, but in the end, they're a very flawed team that won't win a playoff series. But yeah, they got shut out for the last seven games. It is bad. But those four games in the last seven, Glenn, are all without Harper and Schwarber. Like, I don't understand how people don't recognize that. If you tell me they're playing the rest of the season without Harper and Schwarber, yes, they're a very flawed team that won't win a playoff series. And I'm not suggesting just getting Schwarber and Harper back will make them win a playoff series. I still think they are probably minimally the fourth team. And that's basically where they are right now. I think right now you've got Mets, Braves, Dodgers, and then maybe Phillies. I think the Phillies are somewhere fourth, fifth, right around. I think the standings right now are pretty fair, other than the fact that the Cardinals have the three seed because they lead the division. I just don't understand the thinking of a guy like Glenn in this. You're shut out four of the last seven. It's really bad. Both things can be accurate. Yes, four of seven being shut out is bad. Agree with you, Glenn. But they don't have Schwarber and Harper playing. So, yes, you, shouldn't you expect them to be flawed without two? One guy who made the All-Star game who leads the team in home runs and is one of the most prolific home run hitters in the league right now. The other guy was the MVP of the league. You take those two guys off. What, what's your expectations? Give me realistic expectations with that, with that happening. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Don't forget... You can enter now to win a road trip to Washington to go see the Eagles play the Commanders. That game is in Washington at FedEx Field on Sunday, September the 25th. We're going to provide the tickets and a ride and the tailgate party, all thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips. They've got a huge bus heading down there. From what I've been told, we're over 700 people who have signed up for the bus trip to go down there. And you can win tickets to head down to Washington to cheer on the Eagles against Carson Wentz and the Commanders. All you have to do is go to 973ESPN.com. All the details are right there on what you need to do. I'll call out a winning name in about 15 or 20 minutes, so keep it locked. If you signed up, listen for your name. Right around 15 or 20 minutes, I will call out another name. One name each hour, I will call out. And on August 26th, that's next Friday, the Sports Bash will be live at Garden State Brewery in Absecon on the White Horse Pike. And we will announce who the winner is who's going down on the bus. So I'll give you an opportunity to go to the website now, 973ESPN.com, and sign up for the trip. And if I call out your name on today's show, you are qualified. Being a qualifier gets you there, halfway there, gets you to the party. You got to be at the party for me to call out your name. And if I call out your name, you're going down with the guys from Philly Sports Trips.
All right, back to the fills here. I got a lot of... uh, (laughs) And and look, on the surface, I understand the frustration when you get shut out against a Reds team because they're not very good. But you essentially put a lineup out that was (laughs) similar to the Reds (laughs) yesterday. Not, I mean, yes, I mean, you have... I don't know, Hoskins and Real Muto. Other than that, Castellanos, who's really struggled all this season. Boom. Yeah, you have a better team than they do. I'm not suggesting you don't, but it's not like the Cincinnati Reds, the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, all these teams roll in with 10 wins. They win games. They're going to win games now and then. So let's take a look at what's next, all right? Because, as I said, I'm disappointed they didn't get the sweep. But I asked for six out of seven against the Reds. That can still happen. Now, it all changes if I win three out of four against the Mets. Then I can afford maybe a loss uh, or two against Cincinnati. I don't want that. Tomorrow night, you're getting Nola and Bassett. You already just got shut out by Bassett last week. Now, do I have Schwarber in that lineup? Feels like it. I'm not going to have Harper. All right, Wheeler goes Saturday. We don't know who's pitching for the Mets on Saturday yet at all in either game. Bailey Falter will pitch the night game for the Phillies. So you got a day-night doubleheader. Can I get a split in the double dip? Can I get a Nola win on Friday? And can I get a Wheeler win on Saturday afternoon? That gets me two. Can I split that series with Gibson against Walker on Sunday? If that happens, I go into uh, come back home, or I'm I'm already home tomorrow. The Phillies game's in Philly tomorrow against the Reds. This is where I have to get basically. I, I like a sweep in this series. Syndergaard against the kid uh, Zuch that pitched on what Wednesday or Tuesday. A rematch of yesterday's game, Suarez and Lodolo. This is where I would like to see the Phillies. Okay, I got you the second time I saw you and pick up that game. Nola and Wheeler, you got to win those two games against two guys you've never heard of, Ashcraft and Dunn. The pitching favors the Phillies in all four games. So if I can split with the Mets and get four against the Reds, I feel pretty good at where I'm going when I enter that Pittsburgh series. And the Pirates are bad right now. But here's the problem with the Pirates series. I got Gibson, Syndergaard, and Suarez going. I got no Nolan Wheeler. But I got to pick up. And again, this is where you can't have the expectation to sweep in the Pirates every single time. You can't sweep the Reds and then sweep the Pirates and then sweep the Diamondbacks. You got to have. But you should be able to take two out of three against Pittsburgh, two out of three against Arizona, two out of three against San Francisco, two out of three against Miami, two out of three against Washington, two out of three against Miami again. Now, if you sweep somebody, some of those teams in there, that's cherry on top. But if I get two out of three in, in the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven series, I think I'm in pretty good shape. Then I have Atlanta, Toronto, Atlanta. That's a tough little stretch. Chicago, Washington, those two teams are bad baseball teams. And then I have a Houston team that I hope that by the end of the year, uh, I would imagine Houston is um, signed, sealed, and delivered in the AL West. 
Uh, they're 11 games up on the Mariners. And I would think that the Astros probably don't need those games late in the season. And he got a good opportunity. So the Phillies have a schedule right now where they can really rip off two out of three, two out of three, two. And if they happen to, like I said, if they happen to sweep Pittsburgh, take two out of three against Arizona, two out of three against San Francisco, sweep Washington, sweep Miami. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, they lost the game yesterday. And I understand the frustration because they got shut out for the fourth time in seven games. But, my God, people, have some perspective. Perspective is all I ask for. Did they get shut out? Yes. Does it suck? Yes. Is it frustrating? 100%. Did Schwarber and Harper appear in that lineup yesterday? No. Does that make a difference? I think a logical person would say yes. I think an illogical person doesn't care and just says they're not good enough. And again, I don't think they're good enough to win the World Series right now. Although, if they're not good enough to win the World Series right now this year, what are they still lacking? Because they have two top-end pitchers. Their bullpen has been uh, Dominguez, who, yes, I get it, blew the save yesterday. But Robertson and Dominguez have turned into a really one-two punch. What is this team still lacking? Hit me up on that. If you don't believe in this Phillies team, what is it that they still lack? Because if they get Schwarber back and Harper back, that's two all-star players. How many teams right now are playing without two all-star players in the top of their lineup in this playoff race? And they're still in the playoff race. I think if you look at this Phillies team, what are they lacking? I guess you could say one of the things they're lacking is depth. But they're still in this. They still have a playoff spot even with the lack of depth. Right? 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. You look around the lineup and you're saying, man, this team lacks depth. And I agree. I think they do lack depth. You're seeing it. But without the depth, they had Segura out for, what, two months? They got into the playoffs from where they were without Segura. So they weathered that storm. Reese Hoskins hasn't gotten hurt. Bohm has been in the lineup all year. Real Muto uh, hasn't been hurt. Castellanos, who uh, has been somewhat of a disappointment. I say somewhat of a disappointment again. I look at his batting average. He's hitting 262, which is, uh, and somebody, I think Bob Wankel tweeted out the other day that he's hitting like 329 in his last 22 games or something like that. So uh, he's been very frustrating, though. I'm not sitting here trying to defend Castellanos. I just think it's funny how we get stuff drilled into our head. And we refuse to kind of expand our horizons a little bit. Um, the shortstop position has been a mess with DD. Uh, then he gets released, and now Stott. Um, and Stott has been much better offensively. And he's, by the way, pretty good defensively. Sosa has been a nice uh, addition defensively. He had the good game offensively the other day. But you lack a little bit there. Uh, Schwarber being hurt. Doesn't help right now. Uh, Stott has been much better offensively than he was in the first half of the season. Derek Hall has been kind of a saving grace guy, for God's sakes. The numbers that he has put up, was he have nine homers since being called up? Uh, Veerling is starting to struggle a little bit. Nick Maton's been a nice piece. But, you know, what is this team still lacking? I'll throw it out to you guys. What is it that this team is lacking 
that is holding you back from saying, I think they can win a World Series. You put Schwerber and Harper in this lineup. What is this team still lacking? What don't they have that these other teams, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Braves, you look over in the American League, uh, the Yankees are really struggling right now. For God's sakes, they have lost, what, 7 out of 10? Um, What do the Phillies lack that the Yankees have? Um, I guess Houston is definitively the favorite in the American League. I don't know. Are the Yankees the second favorite over there? Would you go with Seattle, who's playing really good baseball right now? The Phillies actually beat Seattle in the season series. Tampa Bay is always tough. Cleveland's been pretty good. Um, man, Toronto's got talent. They haven't been as good as we thought. And the American League is definitely doesn't have the, the higher-end teams. The, the, those higher-end teams are all New York, Atlanta. McGarry said it yesterday. He's got New York number one, Atlanta number two, the Dodgers number three because of the Dodgers' injury issues. And that's where we are with the Phillies. The Phillies had the injury issues where they had guys out for the year. I totally would agree with some of the uh, social media panic. They don't have guys out for the year. What they have is guys coming back. And that should change the dynamic, and it should probably change your thinking as well. Hey, I'm not here to tell you how to think. I'm just giving you my opinion. That's all. But I appreciate all the feedback on uh, Twitter, at Mike Gill Show, on the text board, 609-403-0973. I'll read off some of your text messages coming up on the other side. Johnny Mack at 3. Got another winning name coming up for you. Don't forget, go to 973ESPN.com. I'll give you a chance to go enter right now. Go to the website, fill out the form. It's easy to do. It takes less than 30 seconds. You know, I can pull it up on my uh, mobile app. All you have to do is tap the app. When the app launches, you'll see um, the Washington trip. It'll say, win tickets to see the Eagles play Washington against the Commanders. Tap the app right there. Fill out that form. And then all you need to do is listen for your name and then show up for Garden State Brewery in Apsekin on August 26th. That's next Friday. One lucky winner is going to see the Eagles and the Commanders at FedEx Field in Washington. Thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips. And that bus, man, they are sending down a huge busload of people to Washington. That stadium is going to be filled with Eagles fans. And part of those Eagle fans, or two of those Eagle fans, are going to be coming right here from the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Don't forget, we've got you till 6 o'clock tonight. We've got a packed show for you, Johnny Mack at 3, as we mentioned. And we've got football at 4 with Andrew DeCecco, uh getting you all the insight and information on this Eagles-Browns, um, this Eagles-Browns, Joint practice. Sorry, I had a little brain cramp right there. The joint practice between the Eagles and Browns. We're going to be uh, talking about that with Andrew. Get his thoughts on who he's watching today. They started uh, right at the top of the hour here. So, all right, six zero nine four zero three zero nine seven three. That's the text board. Six zero nine four zero three zero nine seven three. At Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Just getting cranked up on this Thursday edition. 
Hope you're with me till the end. I got a winning name coming up, qualifying name, I should say. Coming up next, don't go away. This is the sports. Now, back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 2.30, I got a qualifying name right now. Congratulations to this hour's qualifier, Kerry Gallagher. If Kerry Gallagher is out there, let them know they're qualified for an Eagles road trip to Washington to see the Eagles take on the Commanders. Thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips. Kerry Gallagher and all our qualifiers must be present to win at Garden State Brewery on August 26th. That's next Friday where all our qualifiers will be there. Then one of those qualifiers and a friend are heading down on the Philly Sports Trips bus to go see the Eagles and Commanders on September the 25th. I got text messages coming in that I want to read off for the people. 609-403-0973. I ask you, simple question. Josh, I'll let you answer the question as well if you'd like to uh, chime in. If you think the Phillies at full strength aren't good enough to win a World Series, what is it they still lack? Let me know. Is it the lineup's not good enough? Is it their starting pitching's not good enough? Is their bullpen not good enough? Uh, we have people voting at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. We have people texting in at 609-403-0973. If I said, hey, is this team good enough to win the World Series? And you're like, eh, I don't think so. What is it that they don't have that is making you feel that they can't beat the Mets or the Dodgers or the Astros? And really, I think the Phillies might be right around like the sixth or seventh best team in the game right now. I don't know. Are they better than the Yankees? I mean, the Yankees right now are really struggling. I think the Yankees are in a slump right now, but I think they'll turn it around. I mean, they started showing signs turning around the last couple of days. To me, the problem with the Phillies, Mike, is it's very simple. On paper, they should be a better lineup. But there's so many times this year that when it's – Runners on base and Real Muto or Hoskins or Castellanos or even Schwerber. These guys come up to bat, Segura, and you're expecting, all right, here's the moment. Here we go. And they don't get the job done. And Situational hitting. I feel like this Runners team. Runners in scoring position. This team does not have great situational hitters. Because when you look at, you mentioned the Yankees. When Stanton or Judge come up. You know, if you're the other team, you're sweating bullets. You know, when the Dodgers got... When Stanton actually plays, but that's another thing. But the point is that those dudes have a level of... They put fear into the other team. And sometimes just putting a tiny amount of fear... I mean, the Braves lineup feels like almost the entire lineup is full of dudes from from Acuna to Riley that you're like, oh, man, here we go. Runners in scoring position. He's going to knock it in, right? I feel like the Phillies are supposedly supposed to have those guys, but they don't show up in those moments. So it is the situational hitting that's holding you back. Yes. What is holding you back? Uh, right now, at Mike Gill Show, 42% of you are saying the lineup's not good enough. 35% of you are saying it's the starting pitching. And only 21% say it's the bullpen that's the problem, which is very interesting. A total shift from the beginning of the year where the bullpen was an absolute disaster. If you're listening on the free mobile app, 
like Anthony from Egg Harbor Township, he says the Phillies definitely have enough to win a World Series. It's more about who is the hottest team that time of the year rather than who has the best team. So it sounds like Anthony, thanks for listening on the app, Anthony, and messaging us. It sounds like Anthony thinks the Phillies could win a World Series. It's not that something's holding them back. He's just saying, hey, whoever the hot team is. So are the Phillies legitimately good enough to win a World Series? Or are they lacking something that you just can't even come up with a scenario. You can't picture it actually happening. Over on the text board, Mike, our full lineup with MVP back, etc., is a potent one, and I will go to war with them and our starting pitching. So it sounds like there's a believer. It's a big believer right there. Uh, another text message from Stephen Marmora. Mike, if Marsh is out for any extended period, who replaces him? Uh, do you think they re-sign Herrera? Ma, Steve, that's a good question. Marsh, I guess, got an MRI. There was no structural damage. They won't have a decision on him till Friday. There's a possibility he could still go on the injured list. He's got a bone bruise in his knee and a sprained ankle. He avoided anything overly serious. Um, I wouldn't imagine he plays this weekend in New York. So what happens in center field? Well, I don't think they bring Herrera back. But they got problems out there, man. You got Nick Maton playing left field. The kid's never played major league outfield before in his career. He's barely played any minor league outfield. Not to mention, Nick Maton is just basically a super utility player that's known more for his defense than his offense. Now you have him playing corner outfield. Veerling will get the bulk of the at-bats in center field, but he is really struggling right now with overexposure. And honestly... Stephen Marmora, I have combed the waiver wire, the free agent market. I really can't find a guy that you can bring in here to help this team out. There is not a guy just sitting around waiting for that call who's like overpriced, has been hanging out. Uh, Stephen Piscotti just got cut by the A's, I think, yesterday or the day before. He's a corner outfielder, so he doesn't really help you. Not to mention, he was hitting under 200 this year. And hasn't had a good season really since that big year he had with the Cardinals when he had 27 home runs. That was about five or six years ago now. So I think that ship has passed. You mentioned Conforto the other day. The fact that nobody has picked him up should tell you exactly where his career is at. I mean, this was a guy that felt like he was a thorn in the Phillies' side for years with the Mets. The Mets said, you know, goodbye, have a nice career, and nobody's picked him up. Like, yeah. Is that really the guy you want to pick up? Is the guy that nobody else wants? I am shocked that Comforto's career has taken this type of turn. I mean, he was really, first off, he had jumped out off the page in his early Mets seasons. I mean, this looked like the guy who was going to be a middle-of-the-lineup force for them, right? He made an all-star game, Comforto. He had 20. He had a three-year stretch where he had 27, 28, and 33 home runs. And he's a two fifty-five career hitter. What the heck happened to him? I mean, seriously. Now, the problem with Comforto is he's not a good defensive player, and he's also a guy who mainly plays right field. I mean, he barely even plays... Um, he has actually played all three. He has played right field the most. He has played left field. Uh, he's even played center field. So, I don't know. Do you take a sh- – last year, Comforto with the uh, Metropolitans, 
hit 232 with 14 homers and 55 RBI. It's better than Veerling. I mean, he literally gives you... Now, defensively, he's not very good. No, but here's the thing. I mentioned about him being a thorn in the Phillies' side. In 95 career games against the Phillies, Conforto has 69 RBI. That's more RBI than versus any other team in his career. In the 2020 uh, COVID season, in 54 games, he hit 322 with nine homers. Is there a Met fan out there that can tell me what happened to this guy? I was always a big Comforto fan. What happened to him that nobody wants to touch him? I mean, I know the injuries crept up, but I mean, how do you go from being that level of player to 29 years old and out of the league? Right. I mean, he has been a productive guy. I mean, unless there's something I'm completely missing as to what happened and why uh, nobody has tried to, uh, to touch him. Now, the last I saw, this was back in July, this was right around the draft, was that part of his problem in the offseason, from what I recall, was that signing him had draft pick compensation tied to him. So people didn't want to get up a draft pick. And I think he had surgery on his shoulder back in April. But... From what I understand, okay, all right, now I see this article here. He had shoulder surgery. His on-field return time is sometime in September. So he couldn't help you for at least the next couple of weeks. According to this article from NBC Sports Chicago, because this article is about why the White Sox should sign Conforto. And And by the way, he can't play. It looks like when he does come back that he probably will not play the outfield. It looks like that, according to Conforto's agent, Scott Boris, that the earliest he could have been signed to avoid draft pick compensation was after July's draft. So he could have been signed after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Text message, pretty sure Conforto had shoulder surgery. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It looked like he had shoulder surgery, and that's going to keep him out till at least September. So that gives me some clarity as to why nobody has taken a shot on him. But, you know, there were some reports that there was a possibility that he would sign in July and get into a team and then at least be on yeah, that work team. work through the farm system, get some bats like at the lower levels. Here's the problem, assignment. though. If the Phillies sign Conforto now, he can't play now, right. and then what are you going to do with him? Yeah. He's essentially another DH, and you already have Bryce Harper. And now, if you told me Marsh is virtually done, you then sign Conforto and play him in center field. I mean, you have to at least consider it. I, I think that the problem is, is that Marsh's injury is one of those day-to-day situations with the bone bruise. And the I think he's going to end up on the injured list, honestly. You think so? I think so. Because I know he has also the sprained ankle, they said. Yeah, I think he's going to end up with a with an IL stint. That's just me. I don't know anything specifically um, on that, but I, I mean... Tomorrow would be the day that this will all come out, I would imagine. Uh, The Phillies have claimed outfielder Bradley Zimmer off waivers from the Blue Jays. To make room for Zimmer, Bryce Harper was transferred to the 60-day, and Brandon Marsh was placed on the 10-day. So there you go. Bradley Zimmer is a career 214 hitter. That'll help. He's not bringing you much offense here. (laughs) No. 
No, but the fact that you put Harper on the 60 day. Now, is that retroactive 60? I'm not 100% sure how that works. They kind of change things up because Marsh is on the 10 day. Remember, it used to be the 15 day DL. Marsh right. is now on the 10 day, so he is out. I would imagine, yes. Marsh is on the 10 day with an ankle sprain, and that's retro to yesterday. Gotcha. So Harper might be retro too because he's already getting ready to go on rehab assignment. So I'm assuming he can't be out for 60 days, literally. Yeah, I don't think him. The season. I don't think. It's got to be like a procedural thing. Yeah, I think it's more of a procedural thing that Harper gets transferred to the 60 day. And Marsh is now on the 10-day. So you got him out. By the way, Mr. Oh, by the way, uh, John Clark just tweeted that Harper is eligible to come off the 60-day next Thursday. Okay, so it is retro. Yes. Gotcha. By the way, Mr. Zimmer has played 261 games in center field with a 998 fielding percentage. So he's a good outfielder, not a very good offensive player. Hey, he's something, right? <laughs> a Jalen Hurts. With a uh, touchdown to A.J. Brown with a one-handed catch. Keeping up with all that. Johnny Mack in 17 minutes from now. More Sports Bash on the way. 609-403-0973. If you're not a believer that the Phillies can win the World Series, what is it they're lacking? Let me know on the text board. 609 609- 403-0973. More Sports Bash after this. Now, back to the Sports Bash. SPN. 248, I got some more text. Uh, Mike, I think we're missing those old veterans on the team. A grandpa type for the starters like a Jamie Moyer or a Stairs or a Jenkins. We have some leaders and vets with playoff World Series experience, but not those older guys or grizzled vets. Are they missing one of those guys? It's not a bad one. I'm not going to, like, shoot that one down. David Robertson, I mean, he's a guy who... Uh, he's the closest you got, really. Isn't really, he? yeah. I mean, you could never have enough veterans. You had D.D., but obviously they let him go. Because right. D.D. was a guy that was known for that. Um, but other than that, I- I'm not going to say this guy's off base with that. Finding that guy who's kind of like a, a veteran player in the clubhouse that can kind of... But is that the difference? Is that what is making this team, in your mind, like what is the difference between the Phillies, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Astros, the Yankees? I think those are the teams that most people think are World Series contenders. Are the Phillies not a World Series contender, just a playoff team? There's a difference. I think they're a playoff team, but not a World Series contender. 609-403-0973. The old veteran thing, I think, is fine. That's not a bad one. I I have no problem with that. Um Another question came in. Mike, can you or someone please explain to me why Noah Syndergaard keeps trying to avoid pitching against the Mets? I doubt that's his decision. He has missed the Mets twice. The last time wasn't his fault, the rotation. Now, this time, I'm not sure why they moved him off this Mets series, but maybe they just wanted to give him some – I haven't seen what the the reasoning was on that. So, from what I understand, 
the Angels were running a six-man rotation out there because of Otani. So Syndergaard is not used to starting on as many five-day, four-day rests as the rest of the Phillies staff is. So my understanding, the way they were explaining it was is that they're trying to avoid Syndergaard not getting the rest he needs in between starts. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's a whatever you want to read into that, read into it. But that's the explanation that that was explained previously. Yeah. Well, he'll pitch in the in the series against the Reds as opposed to the series against the Mets. I don't think Syndergaard's asking out of that series. Yeah, I highly like, doubt Syndergaard. Wasn't he the like, guy that hit somebody in the World Series? Oh yeah. Wasn't he the guy that threw at... Uh... They all did. Him and Harvey. And so did their... Uh, who was their closer at the time? Was it Lugo at the time? Yeah, but Syndergaard was the one that everybody was like, you know, he's not backing down. You know, he threw at somebody. I mean, Syndergaard's one of them guys that seems like he doesn't have... Has that I don't care about anything attitude. He does. I just... I don't... I can't believe that he's like, I don't want to pitch against the Mets. Like, why would he be yeah. afraid of the Mets? I don't see that being the possibility. Um, so... Appreciate the text, but uh, I, I don't think um, that, uh, that that's a problem. Uh, from what I recall, Mike Conforto hurt his shoulder last year. He didn't want to get surgery. Then at the last minute, he decided to get the surgery, so he basically threw away the season. I'm guessing since he hasn't signed, that means his recovery time is a lot longer than expected. That is uh, from Cole in LBI. He adds, with Conforto's defense, it seemed like he's lost a couple of steps, but if he gets to it, he can catch it, and he's good with fundamentals and throwing to the cutoff man and the correct base. Well, listen, the Phillies have just brought in uh, Brad Zimmer. Uh, he gives the Phillies defense. I mean, he could play center field. He's a speedy guy while Marsh is on the injured list, but he is certainly not going to be a guy whose bat is going to help you in the lineup. Right, And the, uh, but the thing is, is that what what are we valuing at this point? Like On August 18th, are we more concerned about the defense or the bat when you don't have a guy like Marshall who was in part brought here because of his glove, was he not? You don't have a lot of choices at this point. You're taking whatever you can find that can handle playing at the major league level. This year, you know, he's hitting 105 for Toronto in 77 like games. Right, in 77 games this year, he's hitting 100. So you're getting zero offense from this guy. You're getting a guy who can go catch the ball and run. That's essentially what you have him signed for is, hey, can you go catch the ball and can you run? Now he's a left-handed batter. So I would imagine you would see a little bit of a platoon situation with him and Veerling. Veerling would play against left-handed pitchers, and Zimmer will play against right-handed pitchers. I think that's what you'll end up seeing until Marsh can play. I guess the hope is that Schwarber will be back this weekend to play left field. I'm assuming that's what the working theory is. Uh, Johnny G checks in. What's up, my man, Johnny G? He says, the Phillies are the third best team in Major League Baseball since June and could catch lightning in the bottle in the postseason, but hard to get excited about a fourth-place team in the National League East. They're actually a third-place team in the National League East. I digress. Uh, Going to see the stinking Mets tomorrow night. Go, Phils. Um, You said it. They've been the third-best team since, really, the All-Star break. They have been without Bryce Harper for essentially that entire time frame. Shouldn't that make us think differently about this team? And for whatever reason, it doesn't. And I agree. I'm not sitting here telling you I think the Phillies are better than the Mets or better than the Dodgers or better than the Braves. I think the Phillies are 
probably the fourth best team in the National League. That's where I have them. Can they win the World Series? I'd give them about a 15% chance. That's I think my that's fair. Feeling. That's fair. What do you think is the best chance to win the National Just for comparison's sake. I think uh, I agree with what McGarry said yesterday. I would probably go Mets, Braves, Dodgers, Phillies. Everybody has top-end pitching. Even the Cardinals, even the Padres. I think the Padres' top-end pitching isn't as good as the Phillies, the Braves, the Mets, or the Dodgers. But I think all six teams in the National League could wiggle away through this bracket. And then they got the Astros, I think, clearly on the other side. Hey, we're going to get into uh, the Eagles and the Browns. They've got practice out in Cleveland, Ohio going on now. All the updates from Johnny Mack next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, hour two of the Bash. Johnny Max here. The Eagles are in Cleveland. Some news in Cleveland today. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been suspended for 11 games now. They have changed the suspension from six to 11, which ironically lines him up to return against his former team, the Houston Texans. The irony there seems to be uh, dripping there, Johnny Mack, is, hey, let's uh, sit him out for a couple of more games, but let's make sure that we can pump this up and have him face his former team when he comes back. How about that? Yeah, you would think uh, the NFL would pay attention to that kind of stuff. So it's hard to believe that uh, it just worked out that way, especially, you know, I, I thought, and I tweeted before it came down, I thought probably 10 games or 12 games, and they come in at 11 games, and the 12 game just happens to be Houston, which I wasn't looking at the schedule. So I, I don't know. It's a strange coincidence, I will say that. If you want to give the NFL the benefit of the doubt, it's a very – very strange coincidence. Yeah, so uh, the, the deal was basically he will be suspended for 11 games and fined $5 million. Um, obviously, the NFL originally, it was six games. They fought this. They pushed it to 11, and uh, he'll be available to play this year. He only loses about $650,000, I think, in salary is all that he's going to end up missing from that guaranteed money. And there's a lot of people who are kind of uh, outraged by that. But in the end, was the juice worth the squeeze now for for Cleveland? Uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, one of the thing, <clears throat> one of the things I think few people talk about, he, he didn't play last year, obviously. So um, when you when you attack on another 11 games uh, on top of that, it's going to be a long time that Deshaun Watson is off the football field. Now, he can practice, he played, though, right? He can practice through training camp, but uh, Kevin Stefanski said he's not going to play anymore in the preseason. He already said that today. So um, he can practice, though. And he's practicing today against the Eagles as we speak, but uh, he's going to take the second team reps, not the first team reps. They have to get, obviously, Jacoby Brissett ready. Um, it. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he did play in the, their preseason opener. He did not look sharp, to say the least. So I do think there's this assumption that, you know, basically almost two years off is not going to affect him. 
I think it's going to affect him. So I, I don't know if he's going to show back up. He's very he's young enough to right. do he's it. He's 26 years be... old, by the way, for the people out there wondering. And I ask, is the juice work to squeeze? Because he has signed for $46 million yeah. next year. 46 in 2024, 46 million in 2025, and 46 million in 2026. You're paying him 46 million next year and then the following three years and only a million dollars this year. So it seemed as if they were kind of like, all right, let's brace for him not being available this year. Yeah, well, that's certainly true. I mean, they knew there was going to be some kind of suspension. Um, and obviously the hope was six games and, and, uh, they settled the NFL and the NFLPA at 11 games, and then you have this back and forth. Nobody's going to be happy. I mean, you you, you see the re- reaction today. I said, you know, it's it's where cynicism <laughs> just meets hypocrisy. Uh, it's almost the nexus of some weird universe. Um, nobody was going to be happy, and 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 this is where it ends up. And uh, Jimmy Haslam, I was surprised because uh, he had to talk today as well uh, because this is obviously his decision to bring him in. And, you know, look, I mean, Cleveland signed him because he's a good player. Uh, they knew all the pitfalls, and their hope is he turns into a top-five quarterback again. Uh, and if they do that, the, the Browns will be happy if he, if Deshaun Watson is able to do that. If he doesn't, obviously it'll go down as one of the worst signings of all time. Uh, because if he doesn't perform, I mean, you, you go through all these hits you're taking as an organization and the Eagles are, are out there, obviously. And man, they should, they should wipe their brow that Deshaun Watson did not consider Well, I was going to say the fact that he got 11 games and now we know the suspension. You know, revisionist history is easy, but uh, if the Eagles made the decision to bring him in and he ended up getting 11 games and $5 million and that was it, would you say in the end, okay, they can withstand that. Um, now, we don't know what type of player he will be, but just the penalty, just the suspension and the fine, is that manageable enough to justify it if Watson turns into the player that he was? Yeah, from a football standpoint, Correct. of course. Uh, I, I don't think the 11-game suspension is that big of a deal. Uh, you get through it, um, and, and you move on if he's that top-five player. But you see kind of the blowback, and it's not going to stop. I, I mean, you don't think? We're, we're in a different, uh, different phase of society. I don't, hey, listen, I don't know John, I, would like, I yeah. would like to hope and believe that this guy will get railed on and the organization will get railed on everywhere he goes. I just feel like everything else, it will eventually just kind of fade off and will be a memory. Maybe, maybe, um, uh, because there's always something else. You almost uh, wait for the next uh, controversy to happen, Mm -hmm. whether it's in football or Well, if you saw today, I don't know if you saw the video of when Jimmy Haslam, I think, who was it? Andrew Berry was the one taking some of the answers, and I guess uh, yeah. was it his wife, um, Haslam's wife? And he was asked about, like, hey, are you prepared for these stadiums having people? And Haslam was just shaking his head, no, like, we don't think it's going to be a problem. I, I think they believe, like, yeah, we might get it, the initial blowback, you know, but keep in mind, we're talking about 
what, 16 weeks from now. I mean, some people, it will be into the middle of the season. That team could be irrelevant by then. Who knows? I mean, they might get that initial one game in Houston because it's Houston. I don't know why the NFL would want that circus on its hands. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why either. I hope nobody, I hope that was a coincidence. But, um, you know, it's interesting just from an on-the-field perspective. Um, if, if Cleveland is in the playoff race, that late in the season, that means obviously Jacoby Brissett or whomever, if they acquire Jimmy Garoppolo or go a different route, uh, is is holding, is carrying their water. Do you want to make the shift at that point of the season to a guy who hasn't played in almost two years, mm-hmm. even even the talent? Because there's going to be a rust uh, period. Um, you saw it in the preseason, as I mentioned. So that, to me, is an interesting uh decision they will have to make from a football perspective but not you, you know as far as the hits and you're, you're right people will probably forget about it uh but it will always be there the undercurrent right um well i mean and, and but, look it's not the same thing but how many people said they would never support the eagles again you know and and that faded pretty how, how often did you see protesters and people and look as much as you wish that people were there to voice that and keep that constant reminder the frustrating part is and we were talking about this before the show today is when it comes to sports and football people look at it as a release and they don't care what kind of human beings a lot of times these are off the field they just want the best chance for their team to win and that's why i think initially you know uh, he might get the blowback for a game or two, but I don't. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be following him all over the place. Yeah, well, I, I certainly think in Cleveland, if he if he wins games for the Browns, it's not going to be an issue. I mean, those fans are going to be on board. Uh, the question is, and, and and more than fans, the question is, you know, what is the narrative? What is what is pro football talk saying? What are what are uh, what are what are the pundits on the national level saying? Um, and you're probably right. Uh, that's where the hypocrisy comes in. They'll go on to the next thing and they'll forget about it. But there'll always be that undercurrent. It, you know, if the Browns, for instance, reach the pinnacle and win the Super Bowl with Sean Watson, oh, it's coming up again. And that's what I mean by not going away. You're right. It's not going to be consistent. But it's going to keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up because, look, it's a cottage industry now. We're in a different phase of society, and there's 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 a group of people that like to complain. And you know, you, you, I, whatever side you are on this uh, particular subject, bottom line is the guy was investigated by two different grand juries. It's not difficult to get a grand jury indictment. The old adage is you can indict a ham sandwich if you want to and two grand juries um decided not to indict deshaun watson um now that means uh there wasn't enough evidence to convict him in in the minds of of district attorneys in two different counties um and 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 you know it used to be innocent until proven guilty now in a lot of ways it's guilty until proven innocent in 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 our current society uh 
John McMullen from uh, Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, uh, Sports Illustrated, and, of course, the Eagles are in Cleveland. Um, you know, and right now, they went out there with a circus, right? I mean, they're just trying to get some practice in. Yeah. And they kind of ran into this. They're trying to get some practice, yeah. Right? I mean, um, so. Uh, yeah, and that happens and that breaks today. Um, and they're out there as we speak. Because right. Because they practice in the afternoon in Cleveland, which is bizarre. Um, a lot of bizarre things with that organization. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, from the early indications I'm getting, they're performing well. So it looks like they're going to hold up their joint practice championship trophy that they won last year and win another joint practice. Um, Miles Garrett, I know, isn't there. He's got another day off. And, and they're, as I mentioned, they're work, they're going to be working mainly against Jacoby Brissett. So, but, you know, these things are valuable, and they're more valuable than the preseason game. And we'll see the, if the Eagles get good work in, and they should. And they're on the road building up some camaraderie. They're on the road where it's a little bit more difficult. So maybe it's a little bit more worthwhile for them than even last year when the Patriots came in. Or they went up to see the Jets, but obviously that's very close. And it's, um, you know. Not like uh, going to Cleveland or Miami, as they'll they'll be there next week. Yeah, I know. Um, and just kind of reading along, as uh, many of us probably are, seeing what's going on out there. Devonta Smith seems to be a guy uh, who has uh, had a good day out there, and the Eagles seem to be really having a good day in the past game. And I guess that's something good to see against this Cleveland defense is how Hurts uh, continues his uh, progression. And one of the things yesterday, we had Joe Valerio on, who joins us every Wednesday, who you know played in the league, and he said. One of the things that he noticed in the first preseason game is that he thought he took an exponential leap as far as composure with Jalen Hurts. How big is that, you know, aspect that we don't really talk about a lot? Just how composed somebody is. And did you sense that Hurts did appear to be much more composed? Uh, I, I, you know, that to me is, I, I think he's always been rather composed. I think that's always been a strength of Jalen Hurts, uh, from the standpoint of, uh, he's very even keeled. Um, that's the kind of thing that it, in those intangible categories, I always say the weird thing about Jalen Hurts, when you talk about most young quarterbacks who are talented, and I, I go to Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert first, and I say, you know, you know those guys have the ability to be top-level quarterbacks. You know that going in. Mm -hmm. What you worry about is the intangibles, the other stuff. Uh, do they have the ability to handle the position? It's a very big job. Uh, can they handle the criticism? Uh, can they handle big moments? Can they can they lead their teammates? Um, all these types of intangibles. With Jalen Hurts, it's been the exact opposite. You know he has the intangibles. I give Nick Saban a lot of credit for that um and and you worry does he have the top level passing ability uh to be a consistent nfl quarterback so i always think it's almost been a 180 to ha how you typically evaluate quarterbacks but i well, i he's very cool i've never seen him rattle not yeah. once no no i once. think that's one of the things that everybody oh he's a leader and he he is very um you know composed as a 
um, leader of the team, I guess, as maybe, the, you know, I, I, I'm following along Ed Cratch, your partner over at Sports Illustrated. And he said Hurts with maybe his best throw of camp moving left hits Brown deep in stride for about 25 yards. That is an area where many people have questioned, can he roll out to the left and make some throws? So it's good to see that maybe development and involvement there. Yeah, and he had uh, one of those throws Tuesday in practice here to Devontae Smith where he's rolling left. So, yeah, that's a positive sign. Typically, that's not a strength of his. Uh, so anytime he can do that, you put a little bit of an asterisk next to it and say that's a, a positive sign. But it certainly looks like from the early returns we're getting, he's very, very hot uh, against the Cleveland Browns in practice. And that's that's a good thing because, you know, they have a pretty good secondary. I, I don't know how much Denzel Ward is, is practicing because he just came back off the pup list. But even that, they have Greg Newsome. Uh, they've greedy Williams. They have a talented uh, cornerback group. Ward um, is, by so, the way, out there. It's, yeah, I know he's. I know he's out gotcha, there, but right? I, I don't know how much he's practicing because he just came back. But they have a very good secondary with with them. They have a really good secondary without them. They're still pretty good, and it seems like Jalen uh, Hurts is doing very well. Maybe that's a product of the Eagles' corners because the Eagles have really good corners. Uh, Darius Slay, James Bradbury's not practicing today, um, but he's, you know, uh, you might ask me, I know somebody asked me over the last week or so, who's been the best player in the Eagles camp? And I said James Bradbury before he got hurt. I think he's the best player in camp. Um, Avante Maddox as well. So that helps, you know, when you're going against those types of corners every day at practice, yeah, that's going to help you when you have Newsom and Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward and well, the point that you like made, that. too, on Hertz is, you know, last year you, you, you had um, Slay, obviously, on one side, but Nelson was not a guy who was really going to uh, <laughs> pick up your – I mean, Nelson was just an average guy, right? I mean, he was a veteran player who was crafty. Yeah. Um, but having Bradbury and Slay that you have to try to complete passes on every single day should also help on the other – you know, help the quarterback uh, in his progression. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I it, in that same vein, I, I, I said, who's been the best offensive player? And I said, A.J. Brown. And, and, and people said, well, how can it be both? And I said, well, think about it. I mean, and, and then the Eagles even picked up on it and, and they put it on their social media. They put together sort of a clip of A.J. Brown going against James Bradbury uh, on a bunch of different plays. And you can see... Um, that old cliche that we hear way too much of iron sharp as iron. Bradbury wins some of them, yep. AJ wins some of them. Um, and both guys end up getting better. Uh, and that's kind of what's happened with the Eagles corners and, and Slay. I mean, Slay is unbelievable. He's the best corner, um, the Eagles have had in a very long time. And I don't want to insult because Eagles fans, you know, love their old Eagles, but. You got to go back a long time to find a corner like Darius Slay in Philadelphia. Well, that's encouraging stuff with Bradbury, and then of course Slay and Maddox has been—I hate to say it because he's a pit guy—but I got to give him his due. Uh, he, he really <laughs> played well in that position last year, and you wonder if you know if you. Let me ask you your opinion on this, John. If you only have average safety play, do they have enough other places to kind of conceal that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's the one concern. And Marcus Epps is back today, so that's a positive. He was out with a little bit of a back injury. And it, it, it was a concern to me because it seemed like the Eagles didn't know what to do. They were rolling in um, Josiah Scott and Reed Blankenship, who's an undrafted rookie, and, and they went back to Kayvon Wallace. Now, Jonathan Gannon spoke before practice today. They asked him about Joukowsky Tart. He said he's got a role. Well, where's that role? I mean, they don't even let him take reps uh, on the first or second team. Now, granted, he, he took a few days off for uh, personal reasons, but I, I don't know if you can count on him. How do you hide somebody on the back end? There's only really one way to do it. You can hide corners better with safeties. Mm-hmm. It's hard to hide safeties with corners. Yep. About the only thing you can do is pass rush. If, if, if you get home on the pass rush, then you can kind of mask uh, a little bit of issues on the back end. But I, that's still a need for the Eagles. You, uh, by, have the a, way, my, uh, by the way, People forget they tried to sign Marcus Williams. That's the first thing they tried to do in free agency. Right. They got outbid. They went. Uh, they got outbid by Baltimore. They had interest in and in, in Tyron Mathau and uh, the Honey Badger. He wanted to go home. Plus, he was a little bit too expensive. Kyle Hamilton in the draft, but they really wanted Jordan Davis. So they've known that. They, they needed help at the safety position. They just yeah. weren't able to get it done. Was there a reason they went with uh, Anthony Harris over McLeod? Yeah, I mean, uh, just a little bit more. Remember, even though Rodney was here longer, um, Anthony Harris has been with Jonathan Gannon longer. So from the perspective of this defense, Anthony Harris actually had more experience in this defense um, and what Jonathan Gannon wants him to do. Um, so he just feels a little bit more comfortable with Anthony Harris. And Anthony's uh, a little bit younger, not much, but a little bit younger. And he's also less injury prone. So I think when you put all those three things together, it was probably the right decision for the Eagles to go with Anthony Harris. All right, John McMullen, uh, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., uh, more on the Eagles. Uh, Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel uh, with Jody McDonald. They break down all the Eagles action every morning for two hours live on the YouTube channel. And, of course, uh, you can read more about the Eagles at uh, SI.com where uh, John and Ed Kratz cover the Eagles. Uh, and, of course, uh, they're in Cleveland today, tomorrow, and then the preseason game is on Sunday. You can hear that game at 1 o'clock right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Johnny, we'll talk to you, pal. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, Johnny Mack is here on the Sports Bash all NFL season long. We'll get his opinions and coverage of the Eagles. 3 o'clock weekdays here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. You out there, what's up, everybody? We take you till 6. I got another chance for you to qualify. I will call out another name on the other side, all you need to do is go to our website, 973ESPN.com, fill out the form, and if you qualify, we'll see you next Friday at Garden State Brewery on the White Horse Pike in Afseekin. One lucky winner is going to Washington to see the Eagles take on the Commanders on September 25th. You must be present to win, but you got to qualify first. How do you qualify? Go to our website, 973 espn 
Facebook.com. And if I call out your name, you are one step closer. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. All right, 328 Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN. I got another qualifying name right here. We got another winner for the trip to Washington to go see the uh, Eagles take on the Commanders. That game is on September the 25th. And one lucky winner is going to be selected on August 26th when we are live over at the Garden State Brewery on the White Horse Pike in Absecon. So uh, we've got uh, less, uh, we got a week. Tomorrow is a week from tomorrow. That will have the Happy Hour Friday show live over there. So if you haven't entered, do so now. Go to 973ESPN.com. And if I call out your name today on the show, you are entered for a chance to win uh, the trip. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips. You can go to phillysportstrips.com and uh, check out the full trip lineup that they got going on over at Philly Sports Trips. Com. All right, Josh, we got uh, a good group of people going uh, already, and uh, let's uh, see if we can get another qualifier here. How about the Wallace Mains? There's Wallace Mains out there. Uh, Wallace, if you are out there, Wallace, you are our latest qualifier. Wallace Mains is our latest qualifier, so congratulations to Wallace. You are now entered for a chance to win that trip to go to Washington to see the Eagles play the Commanders, Wallace Maines. If you want to qualify, go to 973ESPN.com. All right, some of the things John said, you know, when you're looking at this team moving forward, he talked about uh, the safety position. I think we all kind of understand, and I asked him, is that an area that you can just kind of, if you, let's say the Eagles have really good pass rush. Let's say they have the most sacks in the league. Does that negate the amount of big plays you could give up because you're weak at safety? I mean, you can only sack the quarterback so many times. I mean, how many times legitimately are you sacking a guy in a game? Four? Five? So let's say the Eagles average three sacks a game. And they get a lot of pressure. Is that enough to negate the fact that you might be a little weak on the back end? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting conversation. I thought John, you know, kind of sounded the same way. Is uh, I don't know that you can say, yeah, you got all this pressure and you have good coverage on corners. But what if you're weak down the middle of the field? Definitely something. Well, my first response to that would be, do we really think that the the, the secondary was elite in 2017? We had probably your two best players on defense playing that spot. You had Malcolm Jenkins. Played safety. Right. And next to him, you had Ronnie McLeod. So you're, what you're saying is that is is then safety more valuable than corner? Well, and keep in mind, they also had Chris Long and Brandon Graham. Fletcher they, Cox, Fletcher Cox was a little bit, you know, more primed up. You had good pass rushers, but you had good safeties. And they had solid corners. I don't want to say they had great corners, Remember, but they, they had Remember, they had Darby solid. for half the year. Yeah, but he injured. played in the Super Bowl. He played in the Super Bowl, but you still have to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they had Darby. They had Mills. I mean, they they didn't Russell have great Douglas. corners. They did not have great corners. No. So now this team but you can, has really good corners but not as good safety. You can scheme the corners a little bit like, hey, play them off the ball. And you had help from your corners. I mean, your safeties. 
because they were the strength of your defense. Right. Now this now the strength of the secondary is Slay, Bradbury, Maddox. It's not the safety. Right. It's exactly the opposite now. You've kind of flip-flopped to where your corners are really strong. Correct. And your safeties, I don't want to say are weak. We just don't know. I mean, Anthony Harris was just uh, okay last year. He wasn't great. Um, he's not a playmaking safety anymore. He did lead the league in interceptions a couple of years ago. And a lot of that had to do with what? The Vikings pass rush. That's correct. So can Anthony Harris just be a player that... Benefits from the pass rush? Benefits and takes advantage of the pass rush and be an opportunist type of player. You would hope. He has shown that he can do it in the past, right? And then secondly, I think Marcus Epps is just such an unknown. I mean, people keep talking him up like he is the best safety on this roster, but... If Marcus Epps is the best safety on your roster, isn't that an indictment on the roster? Well, because he's an undone, then yes, it is. But what if Marcus Epps... I think part of the problem is why. Marcus Epps is a sixth-round pick. And when you're a sixth-round pick, you have low expectations. Right. And when you have low expectations, and someone's saying, he might be the best guy we have. Well, then all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, well, how good could our full unit be if our best player is a sixth-round pick, I think we have to take the blinders off sometimes. Kayvon Wallace was a fourth-round pick. And he, right now, I would think has a 50-50 shot of even making this team. Probably. That's fair. But because Epps is a sixth-round pick, we're not all that enamored by what he could do. But what if he's just one of those six-rounders who turns into a player? You know what's funny? Uh, somebody sent me a picture today on this day. I think it was five years ago. I'd have to go back and look at the the, the uh, email. On this day, five... Uh, let's see, when was this? Uh, on this day... Oh, ten years ago. Ten years ago, today, there's a picture. I met Brian Dawkins. Oh, wow. And he was a second-round pick. Yes, he was. So not even a high first-round pick. He wasn't a mid-first-round pick. He was a second-round pick. So just because of your draft spot shouldn't make the expectations. But sadly, that's what happens is Marcus Epps was a six-round pick. But did he do enough in the 16 games he played last year? He had 59 tackles last year. Did he do enough last year? He had an interception. Did he do enough last year? Well, he broke up five passes. Did he do enough to say, hey, in limited time, he has outperformed his draft status? And I think that's what we don't have the answer to right now. That's where I think Eagles fans, it's fair to have some sort of concern at what the safety position will look like because Epp just hasn't had enough of a sample size. The stigmatism we are bringing to him is his draft status. That's all. If he was a fourth, a second round pick, we might be saying, man, this guy's going to be the player. He's going to be the guy that's going to change, you know, uh, that's going to have a really good year. But because he was a sixth round pick, we're not ready to make that declaration, I think. Yeah. And look, part of the problem also is that, you know, you look at who the safeties are. On paper, we thought Wallace was going to be somebody. Because of where he came from. 
He played on that Clemson National Championship defense. He was a key part of that National Championship defense. And the skills you saw in college have not translated to the NFL, similar to hold the J-Jaw thing. J-Jaw was one of the top receivers in the Pac-12. Now, if you believe Sal Powell and Sal Powell Fridays, you should never draft Pac-12 players. But the Eagles did because they thought this guy, who was one of the best receivers in that conference, could translate, and he didn't. How about Sal Powell? He texted me the other day and said, man, he just hates those Pac-12 players, right? <laughs> yes, he does. He texted me and said, the only thing you can get for an awful Pac-12 player is another awful Pac-12 player. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, right? But, Sal, Sal is, listen, we know one thing about Sal. He's never afraid of giving his opinion. No, especially when it comes to uh, drafting players from the Pac-12. But I, like, I have reserving judgment in saying, well, the Eagles are going to be lousy at safety. I really don't know. Marcus Epps I haven't seen enough of. Uh, in the small sample size I saw of him last year, he looked like a kid who belonged. Is he the kid who could be your best player at that position? That's where I'm a little concerned. Now, Anthony Harris, here's the thing. Anthony Harris isn't a schlep rock, right? He's not a donkey. He, no. he was a guy who, as we mentioned, I think he led the league in safe in uh, interceptions one year, not too long ago, and he went from he went from leading the league in interceptions one year. Anthony Harris with uh, six interceptions he had. He had nine interceptions in a two year. Span. So he had six interceptions in 2019. He might not have led the league in interceptions. That seems to be six doesn't seem like to be enough. But he had a really good year where he had six interceptions, right? And then the next year he had none. Well, what was different? Well, the Vikings' pass rush wasn't very good in 2020, but it was really good in 2019. So when the pressure came... He was in the right spot. He had six interceptions, by the way, in 14 games. That's pretty good. So you could see, here's the big number for Harris, too. He had six interceptions in 2019 with 60 tackles. The next year, he had no interceptions, but he had 104 tackles. What does that kind of tell you? Well, teams were running the ball with a lot of success, and then here's the safety having to come up to help make the stop because they didn't have a good defensive front. They didn't have very good linebackers. So now Anthony Harris has to help out in the run game as opposed to being there in the pass game. I don't think the Eagles will need Anthony Harris or the safeties to help out as much in the run game. Not with Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave and hopefully better linebacking play. The key to me is the linebacking part, Mike, because the linebacking situation was such an eyesore last year. It made the secondary issues more concerning. Now that you actually have some faith in the guys who are playing linebacker, because you know the quality of players they are, doesn't it in some ways take the pressure off of the safety position? It should. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday on Football at Four with – Jordan Davis, when he's on the field, how much will that help the linebackers have clear paths to making plays, right? You got Jordan Davis taking up a blocker or two or three in some instances. 
I mean, I couldn't believe the Jets had three guys on him on in in that game on Friday night. I mean, it's a preseason game for God's sakes. They have three blockers on him, and what does that mean? Well, the linebacker's got a free path, right? He's got a free path to the running back. Now, you might ask the question: What if Jordan Davis is on the field and they don't run the ball? Well, that should open some things up for Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham. Javon, I think Javon Hargrave is another guy who ends up having a big factor, uh, residual, I should say, effects from having Jordan Davis. Because remember how many times he got to the quarterback last year early, and then they seemingly started to double him. He had all those sacks early in the season, and I think they started to double him, and he kind of slowed down a little bit. Well, unless you want to have Jordan Davis one-on-one with somebody, I don't know how much you're doubling you're going to do of Javon Hargrave when he's on the field. And I think you're going to see a lot of five-man fronts. I really do. I think you'll see Davis over the nose, Fletcher, and Hargrave over the guards, and then your outside guys with Reddick and Sweat and Graham and Derek uh, Barnett. I think those guys will just get the, the, the outside one-on-ones with the tackles. Who on that line are you doubling? Who on that line says, do you say, I got to put extra attention on this guy, and now if you put five across, you got the two linebackers, the and those corners, Maddox, Slay, and Bradbury, they're very good. They could probably say, "All right, I trust you guys to go man to man," or "I trust you guys to at least cover," where I don't need those safeties to do all that much. That's going to be the interesting dynamic with uh, that position. Uh, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We just had a qualifier. Uh, Wallace Mains. If Wallace Mains is out there, give us a call, 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Wallace Mains. All right, when we come back, the odds of the Eagles exact season wins. What are the best odds? These are very surprising numbers. That in the NFC East. It's funny because they have it for all the NFC East teams. The highest number and the best odds go to... I got the answer coming up next. Now, back to the ESPN. Sports Best brought to you by American Airlines, Atlantic City International Airport, ACY, now has your one-stop ticket to over 90 domestic and international destinations. Book today at AA.com. Mike Gill with you till 6. We'll have a uh, another chance for you to qualify this hour. So listen for that chance coming up between now and the top of the hour. What else is happening? Um, oh, somebody sent a message on the mobile app. Threw some cash on the Eagles at plus 160 to win the division. Lock it in. All right, well, let's look at those numbers. We've got uh, the exact win totals for each team, okay? So what number is the number that you think is the best odds? I have always said, Mike, that in my opinion, I believe the Eagles win 10 games this year. So 10 is the exact win number that has the best odds. 
That is 13-5 to that the Eagles would win 10 games. The next highest number is 9, followed by 11, then 8, then 12, then 7, then 13. So it appears that Vegas feels that the Eagles are going to be a right around a double-digit win team, with 10 being the highest number. By the way, zero would be 750 to one. You want to throw some money down on that. Uh, how about Dallas? Uh, I believe Dallas wins nine games this year. Ooh, all right. So uh, the exact win number, the best odds, five to two, is 11. Okay. Uh, 11 to four, that they win 10 games. Three to one, that they win nine. Then eight, then 12, then seven. So. Same with the Eagles, right around, you know, double digits seems to be the shot there. All right, what about the Commanders? I'll say they win eight games this year. Nine to four odds. That's the best odds that they win eight games. Then seven, then nine, then ten. So it seems that uh, Vegas thinks that Washington's going to be right between a seven and ten win team. I just think that, you know, if Carson Wentz can do what he did last year in Indianapolis at minimum, I think Washington wins a couple more games this year. Uh, New York. I actually like Washington. If Carson Wentz is what he was in Indianapolis last year and Philadelphia in 2019 and 2018. Forget 2020. He was horrible. Right. But if he was the guy from 2018, 2019, and 2020... I think Washington can win 10 games. I think Washington wins eight games. You gave me that one already. Oh, New York. New York. I'll go with five. Five? Wow. So you're low on them. I just need to see them actually be healthy. Who wins the quarterback battle there? Did they open up uh, Pandora's box yesterday? Not, not, they don't think they fully opened it yet, but I think they're, uh, they're, they're, they're tapping their fingers on the box. Uh, Vegas says seven, 12 to five. Those are the best. Best. Uh, it's three to one for them to win eight games, 13 to four for them to win six games, and nine to two for them to win five games. So Vegas has them somewhere between a five and eight win team. Look. I just, I have a lot of concerns about the health of that roster. It feels like everyone on that roster has been injured at some point in the last two years. Well, I mean, the quarterback is a big problem there. That's not debatable. Um, but they do have weapons. Their offensive line has slowly, you Gotten know, they've better. done a good job of slowly piecing that line together. They're trying to rebuild it. I definitely like what they did in the draft. They've got Thibodeau. I mean, their their pass rush should be... Um, I think your defense will be better than their offense this year. And I think next year the offense will be better because Dable will be able to go into the draft and get the quarterback he really wants. Well, that's another thing. I like the coach. I like, you know, um, the way they draft it. And I think that they're not going to be a dumpster fire anymore. They've been a dumpster fire. I think they'll be competitive, but I just don't think they're going to win a ton of games. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here. I I think Washington... The, I, I think their ceiling's like a ten win team. I think New York's, you know, like an eight win team. If they're at their best, if they're the the best version of themselves, so like I wouldn't be surprised if if the Giants won seven and ten this year. I wouldn't be shocked. No, that wouldn't that. surprise me. Seven and ten is, 
You know, and I don't think the NFC East is the dumpster fire that it's been. I mean, it's no. been pretty bad. It is slowly, slowly getting there. Um, Dallas has taken a step back. I think Philadelphia has taken a step forward. And I think Washington and New York have both taken step forwards. I but, think, I, by the way, I think Washington has also done a good job in the draft recently, too. Well, same problem. they got to stay healthy. That's true. Chase Young gets hurt last year. Their whole defense was hurt last year. At some point, yeah. At some point, the quarterback situation was a disaster for them last year. I mean, for God's sakes, Garrett Gilbert uh, played a game. Remember, we had him on the show. He said yep. he got a call on, what, Thursday? Yep. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So uh, I think, look, Washington was near – what were they last year? What was Washington's record last year? Were they 7-10 and 10 with that uh, quarterback situation? Garrett Gilbert, and I think he only played one game, but still, they had a merry-go-round at quarterback last year that it's really hard to overcome when you have that big of a problem at the quarterback position. So they should be, it's like the Eagles. Like, they won nine games last year and are significantly better all over the place. So you would think that they should win at least one more. Yeah, Washington went seven, seven, seven games last year. They won seven games two straight years, actually. And they won seven games last year with just terrible quarterback play. Right. So if, if Wentz is just average. They could win nine games. I don't see why not. I wouldn't be surprised if they went 10-7. and seven. I really wouldn't. Keep in mind all the injuries they had last year. Because 10-7 and seven win the division is better than them. Good question. If they win 10, that means they've probably beaten you at least once. So keep that in mind. I think it's going to be I, – I definitely think Washington is in the division mix. I'll say that. When we come back, Andrew DeCecco, football at four. What is he watching for? What did he see? And what does he want to see on Sunday and in these two practices, which are still going on, kind of wrapping up. And over on Twitter, at Mike Gill Show, follow me there and let us know. What are the Phillies still lacking? Hey, Caller 7 right now, 609-573-3776. Caller number 7 will enter you for a chance to win an Eagles road trip to Washington. Caller 7, good luck. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at 4 with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. My first allegiance is... What will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years? Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and it is brought to you today by the Gallery Bar Book and Games and Ocean Casino Resort. This football season will be there every Monday for the Sports Bash. And don't forget to check out OceanAC.com. You must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. Eagles joint practices today in Cleveland and, of course, tomorrow as well. And the exhibition game number two this Sunday right here on 97.3 ESPN. A couple things that Andrew DeCecco from InsideTheBirds.com is going to be looking at and what he saw on Friday night as he joins us now. For another edition of Football at Four. Andrew, what's up, my man? How are you? 
Mike. I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're always good, man, talking football with you. And obviously, uh, we got these joint practices, and I just want to kind of get your take uh, on how important these joint practices kind of have become uh, for these franchises that basically don't want to get guys hurt in the exhibition games. And they want to see certain things, and they can kind of script them out. Uh, so how important are these next two days uh, for this Philadelphia Eagles team in Cleveland? Oh, they're incredibly important. And the great thing about joint practices, Mike, is that teams are able to determine, as you sort of outlined, they're able to determine what they want to see, what kind of looks they want to see, what the rotation is going to look like. And they're more in control as the, you know, as to the flow of practice and, and things like that. When you're in a game situation, obviously there's so many different variables that are out of your control. Not to say that that's not the case in joint practices as well, but you have a little bit more of a handle on, uh, as far as, you know, volume and injuries and, and, and things like that, and you're able to sort of monitor, get make sure they're getting their water and their rest and, and so on. So I think it's very – look, these joint practices are very intense, and I think it's almost even more intense in the preseason because everyone knows when you're going into the preseason, you're only going to play – your starters are only going to play a handful of snaps. Out, the, out here it's hot. You know, you got a lot of guys that are jawing back and forth. You got the coaches that are up on you, and it's just an atmosphere that you can't really replicate outside of a regular season setting, in my opinion. So, I think it brings the best out of players, and it really drives the competition. So, I'm excited to see what the Eagles are able to do and who's going to rise to the top, because that's really going to be an ultimate indicator as to what the Eagles really have. And- Browns, for that matter. Yeah, and I know uh, one thing is that this Browns team is is pretty solid. So the Eagles are getting two days uh, in practice against a team that's pretty good. Uh, not that we can't, you know, something you really can't say from what we saw from the Jets. The Eagles really dominated that game. The first team guys, uh, they were up 14 nothing. So let's get a couple guys uh, that you liked what you saw from. I know you wrote about it inside the birds.com. The fringe guys, the backups, guys who are trying to make the roster. Who helped themselves out last week, and who are you looking for uh, to kind of build off that this week? Well, he's not a fringe guy, but I was very impressed with Cam Jerkins and what he was able to do. I thought he looked natural and adjusted to the speed of the NFL pretty seamlessly, which you don't always see from a young offensive lineman, but very fluid, and and he he was as advertised. Um, As far as, like, backup players... I was actually impressed with a couple of young defensive backs. Josh Joby from um, Alabama, who I mentioned on your show, uh, oddly enough, last Thursday. And I was also impressed with Reed Blankenship, the safety, um, who really has uh, an interesting path to the roster because, as they outlined on the Inside the Birds podcast recently, the safety position outside of Marcus Epps is pretty much up for grabs as far as the, you know, the roster and positioning goes. And they seem to really like Reed. If you look at him, he led all defensive players in tackles. He saw a healthy share of snaps. In the practice I was at, he saw some second-team reps. He's even seen some first-team reps given the health situation at the position and the lack of numbers there. So those are two young players that I really would like to see more of on Sunday when they play the Browns. Um, offensively, I would like to see some more of uh, some more of Jalen Rager and see what he's able to, to do. And he seems to be a more focused player, and he's not taking these reps for granted. So I want to see what he's able to do. Um, 
and just, you know, some of the young offensive linemen, right? I want to see what Coyote Awashika is able to do. He's a player that has positional versatility. He can play guard, and he can play probably right tackle. He's more of a guard. He's always 6'4". He doesn't have that, that lengthy uh, build that you would really like from a tackle, but he was a tackle at Buffalo. He's a player that the Eagles really like. They did all, their, all they could to hide him last preseason. Now the secret's sort of how they try to stash him on the practice squad. But I think this year, if they will, if they part with him, I don't know that they're going to be able to get him through waivers and back on the practice squad. So those are just a handful of players that I'll be looking to see something out of uh, as we move forward here. Yeah, I know that everybody uh, loved what they saw from Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. Those seem to be the two names that stood out. Uh, were you as excited about what you saw from those two? And then, you know, just kind of in your mind, how Davis – <laughs> kind of changes what this defense can do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not going to see a ton of stats at the end of each game in, 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 the, stat, in the stat column from a guy like Jordan Davis. But as I've outlined when, when he was drafted, he brings so much to the table and he affects so many different variables and levels to that defense without having to necessarily get a sack or, or a tackle for loss. He's just an ultimately, he's a people mover. He's very disruptive. He commands double teams. And like I said, guys like Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham, no matter who it is, N'Kobe Dean, who's a terrific blitzer, these guys are all going to thrive and get to the quarterback and put hits on the quarterback. And all these things add up, and it ultimately takes pressure off of the secondary. So he's just such a, uh, an important factor, I think, in what these Eagles are going to be able to do moving forward that – you can't even measure what he's able to do from, uh, you know, in order to really appreciate what he's able to bring from a skill set standpoint, you just have to know all the, th- all the different facets of the defense that he's able to, to impact. And in essence, what he's able to do for Jonathan Gannon, as far as being able to call different things and a little bit more flexibility on his end. And Dean obviously uh, was kind of one of the names that you heard from a lot of people. But unfortunately for Dean, he's in a big battle at linebacker. Not something we could say about this team the last couple of years, but I don't know what kind of role does he end up having with the way T.J. Edwards has performed in camp. And, of course, Kaiser White, he had the interception, and he's performed well as uh, in camp as well as uh, Dean did in the game on Friday night. So it's going to be interesting. I talked with Jeff yesterday, and he talked about, hey, look, Dean still has really three more weeks to try to show that he belongs uh, and to earn more snaps. How do you see that linebacking uh, position kind of materializing uh, through this week? And it's really interesting, isn't it? It really shows how far the Eagles have come now that we're not really sure. They almost have too many guys that, that have ability, and you're wondering how they're going to configure into the to the overall defensive landscape. So the way I, the way I see it, and yeah, Jeff's right, three weeks you know, isn't exactly a lot of time to make an impression, but it's still enough time to prove that, you need, that you're ready to carve out a more substantial role on defense. Now, what I really like from N'Kobe Dean is he showed that he's instinctive, the moment's not going to be too big for him, even as a rookie. He's played in a lot of big games. He's a terrific pitcher. He's in, like I said, he sees it. He sees the the way that he sees everything. It's almost like like how uh, like how a quarterback sees you know the entire offense. I think that he's able to process quickly. He's able to to you know find the hole and make the play, and a very smart football player. But a lot's been made out of the camp that T.J. Edwards has had, and rightfully so, he's had arguably the best camp or one of the best camps of anyone that the Eagles have. But I think that uh, in the same vein, Kaiser White, at least when I was there, really impressed me, and I think that he could very easily lead the team in tackles, a very fluid player, uh, instinctive, flows sideline to sideline, and I just think that uh, 
He process. He's another guy we talk about processing. He's someone that processes things very quickly. He got his hand on a couple of balls that day, so he's someone that I, it's, it's going to be very hard for him to sort of uh, find his way in and and, and supplant uh, either T.J. Edwards or Kaiser White. But I think that Nicobe Dean's going to have a role, and we haven't even mentioned Davion Taylor, who has also put together a, a pretty strong camp in his own right stayed healthy most importantly so i think he's going to be the third but i also think you're going to see situations where the kobe dean's going to factor in because he's too talented of a player not to see the field so it's, it's funny uh, talking about question I, it's funny andrew talking about trying to find ways to get more linebackers on the field yeah and and it's interesting because dean and taylor and white for that matter they all have a skill set that lends itself favorably to the current nfl defensive landscape and that they are undersized by many by most linebacking standards but they're very fluid they're athletic they flow to the football and um and i think it, the eagles need more of those type of guys and they have a, a pretty good trio of, of players that can do that and i think now you need to figure out how to, you're going to mix and match your personnel but i do think that all three of those guys are going to have uh, a pretty significant role some of them situationally in the case of Taylor and the Kobe Dean, at least initially. Uh, football for Andrew DeCecco, Eagles and Browns getting at it this uh, Wednesday, or excuse me, Thursday, Friday, um, and then they play the exhibition game on Sunday. Um, safety. I mean, we got to figure out what's going on there, and it seems that the Eagles don't know still. They made a trade this week to bring another safety in. Haven't seen much from uh, Jaquaski Tart. Um, you know, obviously that's a position that was up in the air. Where are they at that position uh, entering this game number two. Yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more uh, a weaker position or one with most with more question marks currently than what the Eagles have at safety, right? I mean, Anthony Harris was, was a starter for the team last season, but he's an average player. He's very pedestrian. I mean, you can find a lot of Anthony Harris's uh, across the league. I, I don't know that he really moves the needle much. You know what you're getting in him, so there's some comfortability there and stability knowing that he was in the defense. He was in the defense last year, so he's familiar with the system and the verbiage. But at the same time, Marcus Epps is your best safety, right? So, And he's a player that hasn't played uh, as a starter. He hasn't played a full season as a starter. So there's question marks uh, concerning Marcus Epps you know, as well. But that said... Jaquaski Tart's a guy that's played a lot of football with the 49ers, right? We know that. He's an enforcer, very physical player, has a little bit more range and athleticism than Anthony Harris does, but he hasn't been around, and he's been slow to grasp the defense. So that is a problem in of itself. So how does he slot in? How quickly is he able to get on the same page and do what the Eagles need him to do and uh, get up to speed? I don't know. We're going to find out. He's a player. We mentioned guys that I'm going to be watching. He's a player that I'm going to be keying in on because – if he can't factor into the defensive equation, that's even that, that's going to be even a bigger problem because you mentioned only having three weeks to figure out what you're going to do with the Kobe Dean. Well, they only have three weeks to figure out how they're going to configure their safety depth chart and, and allocate snaps in that regard. So I think you could even see a, a, another trade if they don't really like what they see because you only, you only have one safety you can really count on, and that's Marcus Epps. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting point. And, you know, uh, I find this week to be interesting because of where they are in Cleveland and who runs the Browns, Andrew Barry, Catherine Rach is there. So Howie Roseman can have some conversation uh, with this Browns team uh, over the next couple of days. So don't be surprised if maybe – these two teams come back with different pieces after they play on Sunday because the Eagles, as you mentioned, um, probably still looking for safety help because that's probably, of all the things, Andrew, is that still probably the most 
uh, up-in-the-air position on this roster? Yeah, it's, it's the most concerning when you're looking at it from a personnel standpoint. Even with a, a strong defensive line and an improved linebacking core and even two strong corners in Darius Slay and James Bradbury, that's still, you know, that's still not enough to overcome a vulnerable middle of the defense, right? I, I think that you still need to have at least one safety you can certainly count on. And Marcus Epps is their best cover safety, don't get me wrong, but again, he hasn't done it for a sustained period of time. So there's a lot of question marks there, and I think you need to have at least one bona fide uh, playmaking safety on that in, in that defense, and have Marcus Epps as a number two, as a complementary piece, rather than being the top guy, the feature player at that position. I yeah. think that would be malpractice should the Eagles go into the season with him as their top starter. Yeah. Um, let me get your thoughts on. You mentioned Josh Joby and what that. I don't. Um, I guess the 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 next group of. Um, corners look like after Bradbury and Slay and Maddox, of course. Uh, who are the guys emerging? If somebody was to get hurt, God forbid someone got hurt at that position, who are those next group of guys that are kind of separating themselves? We just see um, um, Jimmy Moreland got released, and he was a veteran player that maybe the team had hopes that could fill in for somebody had there been an injury, but now he got uh, is injured and uh, released. So who is kind of uh, rising to the top of that second group? And, and I maintain that Jimmy Moreland would have made things interesting had he been healthy, having seen him at the East West Shrine Bowl and having seen him be able to, what he was able to do with Washington, just a very physical, chippy player, vocal guy, leader, glue guy. I think he could have factored in the nickel and also maybe even some safety looks. But nevertheless, uh, right now, when you look at what they have, I personally have been impressed with Josh Joby. Now, he got targeted quite a bit in the preseason game. Uh, but And he didn't really make a whole lot of plays. But the fact that the Eagles were willing to give him very early looks or t- is telling as to what they've seen from him in practice, which really passed the eye test for what I saw from him in practice. Remember, I mentioned him in my observations piece as someone that caught my attention in stripping Richard Rodgers from behind after he'd gotten beat or just, you know, taking things personal when somebody caught up on for him. He was very... He, he, he stuck to guys. He was very sticky in coverage. And, yeah, he allowed some completions. But I, I thought that, you know, his, his makeup and his physicality that, you you know, you would expect from an Alabama player really stuck out to me. And when I wrote my post-draft piece, I had him as a fifth-round draft pick and someone that I thought could make a team as a safety or corner because he doesn't have necessarily the measurables or the – top-end speed, but I think that he's really impressing the Eagles with how quickly he's able to grasp what they're asking him to do. Um, Mac McCain's a player that many people wondered when they, you know when the Eagles have acquired him. He's been on and off the roster. Uh, I've seen him get targeted quite a bit. I, thought, I think he's a little grabby. I think he's going to get quite a bit of snaps here um, on, on Sunday, so I'll be interested to see what they have in him. Obviously, they have a great deal of interest in him. Um, uh, Mario Goodrich, that undrafted corner from Clemson, was someone that he got a lot of hype as an undrafted signing, and rightfully so, given his pedigree, but really has been outshined by Josh Joby and really hasn't really lived up to the billing as being one of the, the, the crown jewels, if you will, of the undrafted free agent. So I think he's got a lot to prove, and I think he's going to see quite a bit of snaps as well. All right. Uh, on the offensive side, real quick, Andrew, running back, uh, is there some concern there? Are you okay with what they have? I mean, if I'm the Eagles and I'm calling the shots here, I have some major concerns here at running back. I mean, the running backs as a whole, when you look at that unit, Mike, I look at it as just a very pedestrian unit. What is the identity of that group? 
who is your, your 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 playmaker that you can lean on in critical moments to get those tough yards? Who's going to be the consistent home run hitter? Miles Sanders has done it, but he hasn't been consistent in doing it. Kenny uh, Kenny Gainwell has really fallen off a little bit in, in training camp. He's gotten hurt. Remember, he had the hip issue, but he's dropped a couple of passes, and you know you're starting to see now all of a sudden. You, from a player who could have been a breakout guy, you have a little bit of questions because it's not necessarily set in stone. And Boston Scott is who he is. I mean, there's a lot of Boston Scots across the NFL. There's a lot of Boston Scots sitting out there in free agency right now. I mean, they have a lot of guys, but not necessarily. You have the names, but you don't necessarily have the, the, the production or a player that's going to take that position group to the next level. So I think that that would be a position that they need to look at and at least get a power back in there for someone that could have that add another dimension to their backfield because they have a lot of guys that offer similar skill sets. A player that I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's able to do, oh, he got one snap last week uh, on special teams, that is, and that's DeAndre Torrey, the uh, diminutive running back from North Texas who goes about 5'7", 195, very fast. I think he had 1,300 yards rushing last season. Explosive home run type of hitter. He's a bit of a long shot for the roster. I would consider him a considerable long shot for the roster, but still, I just want to see... What, what these guys are able to do situationally, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's uh, going to be interesting. I think that running back slot, uh, they gave Jason Huntley 20 touches on Friday night. Did did he do anything right. to make you say, yes, I need to see more of him, and I think he can help this team out? Or are you kind of ready to move on from him? He's been here for three years. Yeah, he's been here for three years. And Jason Huntley is one of those players that he, he he's – not necessarily he's gotten the opportunities, but he hasn't necessarily maximized those opportunities. In camp, he's looked great. And this is going back to last season when I've even made note that he impressed me and I thought he looked the most fluid. And, and I liked his acceleration and burst and all that. But when you're looking at it in, from a game situation, he does a little bit too much dancing, not a lot of hitting the whole north and south. And uh, I do like what he brings from a kick return perspective, Mike, but he's really hasn't done a lot to really – Again, he's not special, and if you're looking to keep a guy on there that's a uh, fourth running back and a kick return specialist, you want to have somebody that has special traits. And, again, we go back to I mentioned Boston Scott. You can probably find a lot of guys across the league that have the same skill set or similar skill sets as a Jason Huntley. He's just gotten the volume, but you would like to see him do a little bit more of those opportunities. All right, you mentioned special uh, special teams. Let's look at that. Britton Covey was a guy we were all kind of uh, hearing a lot about and wondering if he could get a roster spot maybe as a return guy. Uh, is this still Jalen Rager as your return guy in the punt and the kick game? I, th- I think as of right now, you, you would have to say yes. I mean, Britton, Britton Covey is, is a guy that impressed in practice, and you like his short area quickness and acceleration and his change of direction that's outstanding, but you want to be able to see it in the game first before you're able to you know, pencil him in as one of those 53 men, 53 players that are going to make the final roster. I think sometimes, and he really has had an outstanding camp. I don't, I don't want that to be misconstrued. But you have to be able to translate that onto the field before you're, you know, you should, you're, you're, you're cemented into a roster spot. And I think he had one return, didn't really, wasn't able to, wasn't able to you know, do anything too much with it. But... Uh, Jalen Rager brings a lot more from a uh, receiver perspective, and he—I mean, you know—when he when you're looking at more of a complete player and, and what the team really needs, I think you get a lot more out of what, out of Jalen Rager than you would out of out of a Britton Covey. Again, that could all change based on what you see on Sunday, 
and moving forward. But right now, I mean, I, I think you know what you have in Jalen Rager. I think you, you, you see the athletic profile, and you hope you know, this has been his best training camp, by the way, and you hope he's able to put it all together and, and tap into that natural athletic prowess because he gives the Eagles so much more than what a Britton Covey would. But, again, that could all change in a matter of weeks. It's a very fluid situation. Yeah, last thing is uh, Reed Sinet did not really jump off the page last week. In fact, he struggled. Carson Strong, we didn't see at all. I would imagine Sunday uh, those two guys get a bulk of the reps. Uh, I would I would have to think so, yeah. And an interesting, when, when I was at training camp, Carson Strong didn't get any reps. So I, I don't even view it as a case of the Eagles looking to bury a player so that another team can't get any film on him and they can't and they, and they can't get him through waivers because if that were the case then they wouldn't then they would have given him reps of practice i think this is a this is a classic example and a prime example of a player who isn't necessarily ready for prime time he's not ready to go in there and, and take these and, and take some snaps and orchestrate an offense and i do really think that they like what they've seen from reach and that and they wanted to get him some game reps because as i said he's only a reach and that's a player who always started his senior year in college and the more reps he's gotten, the more comfortable he's gotten, and you're able to see what he's able to do and a more, as a more refined passer and leading an offense. So he had some hiccups early, and I expected him to come out swinging a little bit earlier than he did. He's able to put it together and salvage his performance. But um, I think you're going to see those two guys handle the, the bulk of the carries, the bulk of the snaps, though I wouldn't expect uh, Carson Strong to all of a sudden light the world on fire. I think he's... One thing that folks need to understand is that he's going to be a work in progress. All right, Andrew DeCecco, there you go. A look at what's happening with the Eagles uh, finishing up today against Cleveland tomorrow. And then Sunday, you can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Another edition of Football at Four in the Books. Tomorrow, Adam Kaplan's live in Cleveland. He will join us at 5 o'clock from Cleveland with an update on practice and everything that's happening there today. Andrew, we appreciate you as always, pal. That went quick, man. Uh, enjoy does. the time. Always does, my man. Always love talking football with Andrew DeCecco here for football at four. And Andrew's back, of course, next week here on the Sports Bash. It's brought to you by the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort this football season. Cheer your favorite drinks while cheering on your favorite team. Go to Gallery in Ocean Casino Resort for the win. For more info, visit OceanAC.com. Must be 21 or older to play gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. He's right. It went by fast. This Eagle season's going to be here fast and someone's going to go to Washington in a couple of weeks, September 25th to be exact, just about a month away from that road game in Washington. I'm going to give you a chance to register on our website right now. Go to 973ESPN.com and when I come back, I'm announcing another qualifying name. So don't wait. Go to our website 973ESPN.com Fill out the form, and if I call out your name, you are qualified for a road trip to Washington's FedEx Field with Philly Sports Trips to see the Eagles against the Commanders. We will be live next Friday, a week from tomorrow, at Garden State Brewery for a live sports bash where we announce the winning name who's heading to Washington. So hit our website up right now, 973ESPN.com. If I call out your name, you are one step closer to an Eagles road trip with the Sports Bash. I'm Mike Gill. This is 97.3. Now.
back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Hey, I'm looking for Dave Seckinger. He's our latest qualifier. Dave Seckinger. Congratulations, Dave. You are qualified to win Eagles Road Trip. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips. Another qualifier in. That means Dave will join our Happy Hour Friday show next Friday over at Garden State Brewery. Did you go there last night again? No, I'll be back on Saturday. Gotcha. I had other things to do last night. Like Ooh, go to the fancy. Store. Like go to the store. Yeah. Busy man. I'm really excited like that, Mike. What did I do last night? can't remember. Left the house for a little while. No Phillies last night. Yeah, that was my uh, that was my prerogative. So I was like, I got some errands to run. And when I go home, I'll uh, I'll catch up on some things. So I finally got to watch the latest episode of Hard Knocks. Finished up the captain. Ah, uh, the Hard Knocks on ESPN Plus. Got yeah, the captain yeah. in. Knocked out a few items on my uh, watch list. Gotcha. Went uh, heavy blacklist last night. Fit in like four episodes. What season you in now? Um, seven episode like fifteen. Nice. So I'm getting there. Getting there. How, uh, now, how do you feel about the show at this point? Are you still like all in, or are you kind of in the mode where like you feel like you got to keep going? I or? feel like I'm at. I got to keep going now. Okay. Like I'm not like. You're not as thrilled anymore. Well, there's. I mean, there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I mean, she's gotten to the point where now where she's talked to her mother. She kind of helped her mom escape, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we are now. Yeah. You don't know who to believe. Do you believe the mom? Are you still trying to believe Reddington? Right. My girlfriend doesn't like Agent Keen. She thinks she's a flip-flopper. Ooh, interesting. She can't. Well, she doesn't buy her. She doesn't buy her shtick. Well, she doesn't buy her as an FBI agent. <laughs> well, that's the whole point, though. She was never supposed to be in this position. She's only there because in season one, Reddington insisted. Right. That she had this job in the first place. That's a good point. But she has done, like, she showed that she's smart and that she belongs. It's just, you know, I don't know. But I'm, I'm getting there. Now, here's my one thing. Yesterday, in the morning, I, I watched Better Call Saul because uh, she's not really interested in that show. Okay. And since she's gone in the morning, I'll watch Better Call Saul in the morning. Right. So I'm getting to the end of season five. Now there's a season six that just came out. Ooh. Here's the problem. Am I going to have to wait for a year? How long until that enters Netflix? It's a good question. Like I know the blacklist takes about six, seven months. For Because, like for example, they just finished the most recent season of Blacklist. It won't be on Netflix until October. So like when you finish the... The final season on Netflix was a season eight, I believe. Um, you won't get be able to see season nine until October. It's all right. I won't get there. I don't think I'm going to get to the end of eight. Yeah. By then. Gotcha. Speaking got? of television what and things on TV, the Big Ten news came out earlier this morning. A seven-year cumulative $7 billion deal for the Big Ten between Fox, CBS, and NBC. So, for those who are wondering how this is going to work, the idea is is that Fox will continue to have the big noon game on Fox, and they will have the priority pick every week of the Big Ten season. Then, Does C- the Big Ten have 
three games each week that anybody's interested in? They think they do. <laughs> That's all that matters. To them, at least. Uh, then the CBS will, when they're done with the SEC, will take the Big Ten 3.30 game of the week. So they'll get the 3.30. Then NBC will be the primetime slot right. for the Big Ten. So instead of watching a 3.30 Big Ten game on ABC, you'll watch it on CBS. Correct. And instead of watching a 3.30 SEC game on CBS. It's going to be on ABC. That starts this year? No, not this year. Okay. We're talking about 2023-2024. There's a t- tiny little overlap between some of these contracts expiring. Now, here's the interesting point. Two things to keep an eye on. Number one, this deal expires in seven years. That is before the SEC deal that starts in 2024 expires. So the Big Ten will get back to market before the SEC will, based on the current contracts. But that also means the Big Ten will get to market around the time the ACC gets to market. Keep that in mind. Also, CBS structured the deal. So that the majority of the money is not in the first couple of years because their deal is set up to pay more when the USC and UCLA entrants join the conference. So They hope anyway. Well, that's the plan at least, structure-wise, according to this deal. Uh, NBC will have select games on Peacock for football season and college basketball season. There will be a chunk of Big Ten college basketball games that will also be available on Peacock. Also, all CBS games will be simulcast on Paramount+. Plus. Well, I was thinking about this the other day because I heard some a podcast they were talking about, like, if NBC got involved, they could do Notre Dame at, like, 3.30 and then have, like, the, the number one game at in primetime. Yeah, there are like some the Notre, Notre Dame, Dame games. game could lead into Correct. Ohio State, Michigan State. Right. We wouldn't get Ohio State, Michigan until the last week of the year. Correct. And that's generally a noon game. No, but you mentioned like Ohio State is going to go to Penn State this year. You know, you can get the whiteout game at night on NBC, theoretically, and then the 3.30 game, or maybe you make it 3 o'clock. You know, some of these games take forever to end. So, you know, maybe you convince Notre Dame to be 3 o'clock instead of 3.30. You know, manipulate the time slots. Notre Dame doesn't always hold hard to the traditional 12, 3, 30, 7, 30 time structure. Like, there's been times that Notre Dame's had 2.30 games, 3 o'clock games, so on and so forth. Well, I'm just imagining CBS is used to that 3.30 spot. Oh, they love it. So they want to keep that as, like, that is the game of the weekend. Yeah, they, they were saying on the Andy Staples podcast that basically CBS's whole pitch when they lost the SEC to ESPN to their advertisers was, we're going big for the Big Ten, hang with us until we lock in that deal. And now they got the deal done. Gotcha. So we don't want to get the Big Ten story in. Uh, I got to get the. So did you see the latest fiasco with Fernando Tatis? I am so over this Tatis story. Well, Fernando Tatis Sr. has now spoken out, and he's blasting Major League Baseball for, quote, destroying the image of a player over something as minor as this. Yes, 
Well, his uh, father played during the steroid era. His father did. Tati Sr. confirmed what his son revealed earlier in this interview that a topical spray to treat ringworm on the side of his neck contained an anabolic steroid. Now, even though this theory has been disproven by numerous doctors, apparently Tati Sr. and Jr. are holding on to this theory. Tati Sr. argues the punishment is too severe for his son and that Major League Baseball is trying to destroy his son's baseball career. Not trying to destroy his son's baseball career. He's got to sit out 80 games and he can come back and play. No one's telling him he can't come back. He says that the suspension is catastrophic for baseball's marketing. Well, I feel like they're doing fine without him. I mean, listen, the guy failed the test. What else do they want? What are they supposed to do? Make an exception for him? I don't understand why they just can't admit that he took this drug because he was in the motorcycle accident. Like, to me, that's the that's the answer that is what's happened here. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what more anybody else could say about this. The fact of the matter is he failed a test. He suspended 80 games. You can complain and, and moan all you want. Right. I mean, you're not, they're not going to reverse it. So sit the 80 games out. Take your lunch, buddy. By the way, Fernando Tatis Jr. is meeting supposedly this evening with A.J. Preller, the GM who told, remember in that statement, that he needs to grow up? Oh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of growing up, did you see what Mike Tyson had to say? Something about psychedelic drugs or something, right? Mike Tyson has admitted in an interview that has been published in Muscle and Health magazine that he, quote, takes psychedelics every day and that between the psychedelics and smoking weed, he wished he was doing this when he was fighting. He said, quote, cannabis is good to work out for me. I just wish I was smoking it back when Why? I was fighting. What, when he was fighting when? When he was kicking everyone's ass? Yes. That's frivolous, ridiculous. Tyson claims that without the... <laughs> as he referred What to, sense does that make? Well, Tyson... This is just him being out of his mind. Well, Tyson claims that... It helps him manage his anger issues. Yeah, but you didn't want him to manage his anger when he was boxing. He thinks that he would be a better boxer. He, was he may have been a better technical boxer, but that wasn't necessary at the time. I know. He said Disappointed that, in Mike Tyson for saying this. He said, quote, if I would have smoked during my career, I probably would have been more controlled in my aggression and would have lasted longer. Possible. But listen, Mike Tyson is still, to this day, one of the most dominating thought. When you think of boxing and you're 45 years old, you think of Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson doesn't know anybody anything in terms of his career. He made some choices off the outside of the ring that were questionable. Doing psychedelics at the time of his boxing career, probably not one of them. Well, this is interesting because it comes in the same week as Jake Plummer and Rashad Evans have come this out Jake Plummer's story. Now that I'm interested in. They both have come out with a new company that makes mushroom-based supplements. Yeah, now Plummer says he's going to live into like his 120s or something like that. Plummer claims the mushrooms will make him live forever, as he puts it. Good for him, man. He claims that these mushrooms that he has on his own farm in Colorado, that him and Rashad Evans are co-promoting in a company called Umbo, which is a part of Jake Plummer's larger company, My Co-Love. Because, of course, this totally sounds like Colorado here. 
They sell mushrooms in forms of bars and other base supplements. And according to this article in The Athletic I was reading, Plummer says, quote, it's chemistry. This is all science and it's bleeping amazing. All right. Well, are you joining him? I don't know if I'm... Are you on board with this method of life? I feel like this is a strong lifestyle choice that I don't know if I would personally be ready for. Like, I've, I've embraced the CBD stuff, you know, Lofu to Tofu, his products, you know, the idea that it Still helps. using that? I do. Did you order? He gave us some free samples. And I ordered did my you order. order. Did you reorder? I have, multiple times. Wow. What do you, uh, what do you use, the drops? I find that the, the, um, the liquid gel capsules are the best, like, in terms... I don't really like the drops. The drops are kind of like, you know... Tastes a little weird. Yeah. It works. My favorite thing, though, is the roller. I, I use, use the, the roller. roller every day. I use the roller from time to time, not every day. My body's not that beat up yet. But I did give the roller to a friend of mine who had some knee problems. Yeah. And he said it worked almost immediately. I love the roller. The roller, to me, is the greatest thing ever. Um, what do you use it for? I use it mostly for my back and my arm tendonitis. So... I, put on I, my lower back, back. Back. I brought the roller with me to Europe in case, like, I got injured over there or something happened. Like, I fell off the boat or hit my head or <laughs> sprained my ankle or whatever. You were thinking ahead. I was. I Well, I wanted to make sure I had something there. All right. So maybe Jake Plummer's onto something. Uh, maybe he is. Look, like I said, I have not embraced the mushroom movement personally. Even Somebody though- texts in that Riley Cote, former Flyer uh, brawler, has also talked about using mushrooms to heal from concussions. Listen, there's a lot of medicinal history of the uses of different mushrooms. Not the, not the magical mushrooms, per se, but there are different breeds of mushrooms I know about that have been used historically in science. Uh, I just have personally never used mushrooms myself. But hey, if Jake Plummer and Mike Tyson and Rashad Evans and... Riley Cote all say that it has some value, then I'm not going to tell them they're wrong because they probably have health issues that are much more extreme than the average person's is. Hey, those guys went through a heck of a lot more than we did. So whatever they can do to try to offset some of the stuff that they have to deal with, I can't question them. Nope, Jake, I can't either. Jake uh, Plummer was one of my favorites. Jake the Snake. How about the fact that he still lives in the Colorado area? Yeah, a lot of guys do that. Well, I mean, you know, he's more known for Arizona State and Arizona, but... But he played it for the Broncos. He played the Broncos at the end. And he just decided to stay in Colorado. Hey, how many players played in Philly for a very short time and ended up staying here? Sometimes you just fall in love with an area, right? Uh, More sports bash on the way. Hey, give me caller seven right now, 609 Five seven three three seven seven six six zero nine five seven three three seven seven six. Caller seven right now. We're going to enter your name into the hat for a chance to win an Eagles road trip to Washington to see the Eagles play the Commanders. Drive on down with Philly Sports Trips. They'll hook you up with the tickets, the ride, the tailgate party, and more. Caller seven right now. 609-573-3776. You are entered in to win a Eagles road trip thanks to Philly Sports Trips. You must be present to win at Garden State Brewery next Friday for Happy Hour Friday. All of our qualifiers will be there, and one lucky winner walks away with the road trip thanks to Philly Sports Trips. Yeah. Now, back to the speed. 
ESPN. All right, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Hey, congratulations to our recent qualifiers. We got uh, Tom in Petersburg, Jim in Ventnor, Wallace today, and Dave. Uh, they were our qualifiers in the last hour. Kerry earlier in the show as well. We'll do another pair of qualifiers in the next hour. So we'll see uh, Kerry and Wallace and Jim and Dave and Tom next Friday for Happy Hour Friday. That's over at uh, Garden State Brewery in Absecon. More Sports Bash this hour brought to you by the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. This football season, cheer on your favorite drinks while cheering on your favorite teams. Go to the Gallery and Ocean Casino Resort and go for the win. For more information, visit OceanAC.com. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're there every Monday at the Gallery. Bar book and games at uh, Ocean Casino Resort, Atlantic City. Some of you guys have a good time over there. We do have a good time. We're in the sports book. They got a nice uh, setup in that joint. I got to tell you, they did a great job every Monday. And then, you know, they got a lot of great shows coming up in uh, Ocean. So Ocean's one of my favorites, man. It's not my favorite. I, I generally say. I think I, it is your favorite. I probably could say that I've been out on the weekends. I've probably been to Ocean more than any of the other casinos. Not because I have, like, one that I like. but just I happen to like places in there. And uh, they've done a great job with that place. So I'm not uh, not saying that it's superior to everybody else, but everybody else, uh, they don't have the bar that I like. <laughs> they don't have the place that I like to go to. They don't have the gallery. I like um, a lot of things about Ocean and the sports book. They did a really nice job on it. I'm happy to be there with the Sports Bash every Monday here on 97.3 ESPN. Hey, next hour, Eagles uh, got their practice going on today. Sixers schedule's out. You can get that over at 97.3ESPN.com. Phillies have the night off, so kind of uh, one of those days, you know what I'm saying? One of those days where the Phillies need the day off. They needed this day off. So when we come back, I want to visit the poll question over at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. If you think the Phillies at full strength aren't good enough to win the World Series, what is it they still lack? I'll let you guys know what you think through the voting. And if you want to hit me up on a text, 609-403-0973 and let me know. What do you think the Phillies are lacking? Still lacking. More Sports Bash on the way. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, 5 o'clock hour here on the Sports Bash. Phillies off tonight. They need the night off. They made a couple of roster moves. We asked you on Twitter, at Mike Gill Show, if you think the Phillies at full strength still aren't good enough to win the World Series... What is it they still lack? Right now, the voting at Mike Gill Show, it's kind of close. Is it the lineup, the starting pitching, the bullpen? Let me know what you think. I'll ask Frank Close from 973ESPN.com. Frank, uh, a lot of people out there frustrated with the loss yesterday. They lost that game yesterday, and I saw a lot of people on social media. Ah, you lose to the Reds. You get shut out for the fourth time in seven games. And I think that kind of just was like, 
yeah, it's frustrating, but should that characterize where this team is and who this team is at this stage of the season? You know, I don't think so. I, let's face it, they're a little banged up, right? <laughs> you just mentioned the roster moves the Phillies had to make, make. A lot of them from their offensive pieces. You know, they're even if they're getting shut out, they're still pitching well. They're still playing good defense. And you know what? Even the best of teams are going to go through little stretches like this. And you know, when you're tired, when you are injured, these types of things happen. And now the good news is Bryce Harper, less than two weeks away, most likely, he'll be back with the team. Kyle Schwarber coming back this weekend. So, and again, the schedule, we've talked about this a bunch of times. The schedule is not overwhelmingly hard. Now, do you prefer to sweep a Cincinnati Reds team? Absolutely. Two out of three, is that going to kill them? Absolutely not. You know, the teams that they're, that they're battling, like the Milwaukee Brewers, they still lost a game this series. So they didn't really lose ground in terms of whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. Would you prefer to win? Absolutely. Is it the end of the world? No. Yeah, I mean, their schedule coming up, they should really be able to, I said, kind of take, you know, even if you took two out of three in every one of the series, I know the Mets, you got four, the Reds, you got four. But after that, if you took two out of three, two out of three, two out of three, almost all the way through, and you should be able to do that um, until you reach that Brave series late in the year, that should put you in, in fine standing here. And I agree with you, Frank. Listen. If they've shut out four out of seven times and Schwarber and Harper in the lineup, uh, then I'm asking more questions. But with the lineup they currently have, I understand the frustration of losing to the Reds. You can't expect to sweep every single team you play. But what you are doing now that you haven't done in the past is clean up against bad teams, especially on the road. The Phillies would go on the road and lose series to these type of teams. I think that's at least a sign that they're taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and look, last night, Sir Anthony Dominguez didn't have his best stuff, excuse me, yesterday afternoon. Games like that are going to happen. And maybe it's better that it's it's a game you didn't really score in either. It, it's, it's just something that's going to happen. And you know what? The Phillies are even catching another break this weekend against the Mets because Max Scherzer pitched yesterday. Jacob deGrom is pitching tonight against the Atlanta Braves. Phillies are going to face four starting pitchers that are neither those two and also not Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco. Both of them have just gotten injured. So, you know, we're seeing other teams, too, are having these little nagging injuries. It's late in the year. It's when things catch up to you a little bit. So the Phillies are in an okay spot. I don't think that that loss against the Reds is any reason to panic. What's the reason no uh, Syndergaard in this series? You know, there's some recent reports that they're trying to manage his innings a little bit better. Uh, So, you know, that's something that didn't occur to me until just the other day that the Phillies might want to manage his innings or maybe even um, Ranger Suarez. But I think they're just trying to make sure that they manage those innings a little bit better. Um, you take a look at, Frank, uh, the roster moves today. So let's kind of get the people up to date here. Uh, Bradley Zimmer, um, he is going to be brought in here, I would assume, to probably platoon with Matt Vierling. Is that the uh, uh, way that you would kind of understand this? He's a left-handed bat. Give us a little insight on him and, and why they had to co- bring in Bradley Zimmer, a guy hitting the last I checked. I think he was hitting 105. 105, yes. This could be a short-term stopgap kind of move. 
Right now, Matt Verling has to play left field <laughs> because Kyle Schwarber, although they expect to have him back perhaps tomorrow, he will probably be the designated hitter at least first. So the Phillies are in a situation where they really had no outfielders. They were not going to long term. You know, you, you got you did okay with throwing Nick Maton out there for for a game. They had Garrett Stubbs in there the other day. That, that that's not going to work. So with with two outfielders down now, the Brandon Marsh uh, apparently you know we thought it was his knee, but apparently he sprained his his left ankle as well. Uh, he's going to probably have a short IL stint. They they just needed another outfielder in here now. The Phillies could have promoted Simone Muziati. However, Simone Muziati uh, just had a season-ending injury. So they really had to go outside the organization. Unless unless you want to bring up Camargo and throw him in left, you want to throw Edmundo Sosa in left, I don't think that was ideal. So this gives them the ability to, at least in the interim, have a really strong defensive center fielder with some speed that can catch the ball while these guys heal. Uh, it, it, <laughs> this this acquisition is not an earth-shattering acquisition by any means, but what you can get from Bradley Zimmer, really good defense, speed, and he was on waivers, so the <laughs> Phillies grabbed him. <laughs> he was uh, on waivers, and that was good enough for them because, quite frankly, there is not a lot. People kept asking me, is there anybody out there? And I'm like, no, uh, not really. I mean, I saw Piscotti got released the other day, but he's not a center fielder. Um, Conforto, what's the deal with him? I guess he's still got that he's shoulder still, problem. Yeah, yeah, he's still out there. The thought was he would sign with somebody during the season, late in the season, perhaps. I saw some people on Twitter advocating for the White Sox to sign him now, but uh, he probably is just going to wait out the year at this point. One would one would think, although I wouldn't be, you know, Scott Boris, you never really can predict what he's going to do. But yeah, that the fact that he was available made a big difference. You know, if you look at the Phillies' forty-man roster. The only outfielder right now that is not injured is Jalen Ortiz. Uh, I, you know, he he's, feels like he's been in the system forever. He's he's not a defensive outfielder by any means, uh, and his bat probably isn't even ready for the majors either. So, didn't really make sense to bring him. But when they looked at all their options, you know, you lost the waiver trades that you used to be able to make, so you you couldn't even do that kind of deal. So it became a matter of who's on the waiver wire, who is. Who, in terms of a trade, you could trade for somebody who has not been promoted this season for a major league team. So you could trade for a triple-A outfielder. That would have been an option if they, if they had their eye on somebody that might have been okay in the major leagues. Kind of when the Phillies grabbed Brad Miller he had <laughs> the first time, he was just buried in the minor leagues. So maybe you look around the minor leagues for somebody like that. But, you know, options were few. And, and you can say that out of Zimmer you're going to get good defense and good speed so so why not yeah well they need someone to catch the ball right and marsh is going to go on the injured list so he's out 10 days um and then harper got moved to the 60 day dl but that means he is still eligible to come off i believe what thursday of next week yeah his 60 days are pretty much already up so this was just a paperwork move to give them a roster spot immediately in fact i was looking at the roster when marsh got hurt i was surprised to 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 realize that, oh, yeah, Harper was still on the 10-day IL. Uh, yeah, that just is the minimum number of days you need to spend on the IL. He will be ready to be activated when he is back. At that point, they'll have to figure out another move. I mean, maybe Zimmer stays a short time. Who knows? Uh, Oscar Mercado was here, what, a couple days? Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, happens. As you said, right, uh, the paperwork move for Harper. Uh, what is um, the, the the plan or vision for them to kind of get work Harper back into uh, the lineup? Because obviously uh, they need another outfielder here. He's not going to play the outfield, but they need another bat in the lineup too. Yeah, he, he will be the designated hitter, and that's it. Uh, long-term remains to, to be seen just what this injury will mean. Could it mean Tommy John surgery? He was going through a, a throwing program. He has abandoned that. So I think that the thought is when he comes back, he will just enter the lineup and probably bat third as he was and try to help this offense into the playoffs. And, you know, that does kind of create a logjam, right? Because then you have Derek Hall and, and Kyle Schwarber, who also can't DH if if Harper is in that role. So uh, it could be some, some effects there. Uh, with the Phillies lineup because you'll, you probably won't have a place to play Hall unless he's spotting Reese Hoskins on a day against a, a righty, perhaps. So, yeah, he'll just he'll just slot back in where he was, and then the, the effects would mainly be on then what you need to do with the defense, which means you have to play Schwarber every day in the outfield. You have to play uh, Bohm at third. You have to play Castellanos in right, although you're less worried about Bohm than you were before that what an amazing talk about that because what an amazing transformation that to me Mm. is unbelievable i mean he was unplayable at that spot and the turnaround has been unbelievable i agree with you and and i remember being on this show in 2020 when it came up saying okay this guy might have to play left field when andrew mccutcheon leaves as a free agent and you know what (laughs) they started the year with him as a third baseman I thought, oh my gosh, you got to get him off this position as soon as possible. But he he's really worked hard at the position. Uh, the coaching staff, you know, uh, Bobby Dickerson, the coach that they just brought back. You might remember he was on the staff a few years ago. Uh, came came back as the infield coach. Uh, you don't really see him much on the field. He doesn't usually coach third or first like like traditionally infield coaches might have. But he's been doing a lot of work with people like Bone behind the scenes. And I will say this about Boehm. His confidence is way better than it was when he made those famous comments on TV uh, that he hated this place. Uh, you know, I, I thought that Alec Boehm was getting in his own way sometimes. He was, he was letting things get to his head. One error led to the other automatically. I think we see a confident guy who's picked up a lot of new skills thanks to Bobby Dickerson. And it's 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 all working you know do, do i think he's a long-term solution at third base maybe not but you know i think he's playing well enough that you can go even into next year thinking the third base is covered i gotta be honest i had no thought in my mind that he could play that position at this level and he has i don't want to say completely changed my mind but i'm at least giving him an opportunity to stay there how's that yeah i, I agree with you i i thought when he came up I think I remember saying it to you, Mike, that maybe you can eke out a couple years until McCutcheon's a free agent that he ends up in the left field or something like that. But, but yeah, that's 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 a tremendous transformation. A lot of credit to the coaching staff and a lot of credit to Alec Bowe yeah. because he's certainly putting the work in and making himself better. And every not day. to mention, he has really transformed as an offensive player too. He went from a slap hitting two fifty five hitter uh, to a guy who's driving the ball. I'd like to see him have a little bit more power over the fence. But he's a guy now that is hit, he's hitting in the middle of their lineup for God's sakes. He he has made lots of contact. You know, last year I was shocked when he had that sophomore slump because I thought he was just going to make contact and then the rest would naturally work itself out. But you know, his head was in left field every time he swung last year. He seemed to really really lose that. 
Um, really fascinating that he was able to get his head back down and really hit the ball again. You know, I think I think I think the improved defense really helped him at the plate because he was not carrying those errors back to the plate. I still I still have a screenshot on my uh, on my computer here that I took the day that he made those three errors from that box score because at the time I took it I thought man this is going to be a day for the ages. Well, I didn't realize it would be a tremendous uh, story going forward for the ages of one of improvement like this. But I think that the two are, are really linked. When he did not play well in the field, he took it to his at-bats. Things things just were made bad to worse, built off of each other. But I think the, the, the transformation with his defense has led to him being much more relaxed when he went up to the plate because guess what? He no longer felt like he had to make up for what happened in the field. And I think when he makes an error now, he shakes it off and he's back to business, doesn't bring it to his at-bats. So I think they're very much related. All right, Frank, we asked, uh, you know, people were frustrated with the loss yesterday. But, you know, as I, you and I just kind of chronicled, look, they're missing Schwarber, they're missing Harper. If they get shut out four out of seven times and those guys are in the lineup, fine, I'm frustrated. Uh, but I can't judge them with a lineup that is really not going to be, um, okay, let's hope it's not the lineup that they pencil in in a playoff series. But... Um, if would you say this team is a legitimate World Series contender? It's really hard to go World Series. <laughs> I, I I think they're a playoff team. I think that's that's for sure. I think they've shown they've been able to to keep up with anybody. But you know, I think I think they're the type of team that when you get to the playoffs, you can at least battle the other teams. I don't think that anybody would pick them to be a favorite, per se, but I think that people would acknowledge that if they get into the playoffs, they they have a shot of beating their opponent, a, a real shot, not not just a um, shot in the dark, but like they could be a, a legit contender even if the other team is the favorite in any given series. Because you know you go into this playoff format, and let's say they end up facing. The Atlanta Braves in the first round. Well, we, we know we know the Atlanta Braves very well from watching them. The Phillies players know the Atlanta Braves well from playing them constantly. The, the Phillies can beat the Braves in a series. I think that, that people would agree with that, even if you think that the Braves are better. Right now, I have the Braves as a better team, but the Phillies have shown that depending on how things go, they can beat the Braves. Right. So I, I think this is a situation where you don't want to overthink it, but you get to the playoffs and you just try to win and... Well, to enjoy I guess the big thing, like, <laughs> I would ask the, this question is, what are they lacking? What is it? Because this team went out, they added bullpen. Robertson and Dominguez give you about as good as a one-two punch that they've had in quite some time. Uh, they're starting pitching with Wheeler and Nola is just as good as ever, anybody else's uh, top two, right? So what is it that this team, in your mind, is lacking to keep them a step behind the Mets, the Dodgers, the Braves. <laughs> you know, I can't name a specific item, but I think consistency. And part of that consistency that they're lacking has been their injuries. But let's face it, every team has injuries, right? So, in fact, the Mets, again, I just mentioned they lost two starters this week. That's going to be a big uh, test of wills for, the, for this New York Mets team. But I feel like they haven't had... The full roster firing in all cylinders yet to really show what they can do. You know, early in the season, the bullpen was was weak. 
earlier in the season, the starting pitching wasn't getting it together. Earlier in the season, there were, there were, uh, holes in the offense. And then they started to get going. And then they, then you had the, the crucial injuries to, to Harper and then to Segura. And then later on, you know, just lately, you know, with Schwarber and Marsh, right? I feel like they just need to consistently be all together. Now, when the season ends, are they all going to be there? Will they all be healthy? Will they be playing well? I think that's why in the history of baseball, the teams that are that are playing well at the end of the season and go into the playoffs with that momentum tend to win. You know, remember in 2007 when the Phillies made the playoffs for the first time in that run, they lost in the first round to the Colorado Rockies, who went like 19 and two down the stretch to to roll into the playoffs, and they made it all the way through the World Series before they finally got defeated by the Boston Red Sox. So, I, I think the team that can that can be together, be consistent. At the end of the season, if, if all is going well, I, I like that a lot better than a team that might look like they have it on paper but but have not been able to put those stretches together. I'm not saying the Phillies have to be 19-2. and two, Right. But, you know, I think on, they need and to and be on the flip side, on the flip side, Frank, we have seen the Phillies uh, with uh, Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels, that crew, and they got knocked out by an 85-win team uh, that ended up winning the World Series simply because they had the hot pitcher at that time, Chris Carpenter. That's very, very true. They were hot at the end, and I still remember being at one game back in 2011. I think the Phillies were playing the Cardinals at the, actually at that point, and if they had lost the game, the Braves would have made the playoffs instead of the Cardinals. And the Phillies, I can't remember the exact, maybe the Phillies were playing the Braves or something, but essentially, like it could, it was this close to being a Braves team in that playoffs in 2011. But because the hot team made the playoffs, the rest is history. Right, and. uh that happened the year before, kind of, too, where the Phillies uh, were a very good team, but it was one of the better teams they had, and they played San Francisco and lost that series as well, when most people thought the Phillies were the favorites in both of those series. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, it's a really, really long season, so it really matters where you're at at the end of the season. And, you know, once you make it into the playoffs, you know, it, it does, it's not an automatic the team with the best record just advances, right? you got to play the games, and who's playing the best? That's going to determine it, so... Be really interesting to see if, if, if by the end of next month, who, if the Phillies are a healthy team, they're all together, they're able to play consistency with some consistency, play with one another. They could be dangerous, you know. But Phillies again, they just lost Corey Knebel, and I know people would say, "All right, well maybe he wasn't uh, doing so hot." But you know what? Quietly, he gave up no runs in all of July, and only one outing since. Did he give up runs? And yeah, it was a big, it was a big blow up, but maybe that was the first sign that something was wrong with, with Corey Knebel. But you know, that's a loss. And other, but other teams are going to have injuries too heading down the stretch. This so. is definitely though their best one, two punch in the, in the back end of the bullpen that they've had since my gosh. Uh, I guess Lidge and Madsen. <laughs> I just think back to 2019 when they signed David Robertson. To, to pair with Sir Anthony Dominguez at the back end of the bullpen. Both of them had Tommy John surgery, and that never actually came to be. Well, now this is finally coming to fruition. So, again, the sign of a, a healthy team, uh, everybody firing on all cylinders, makes quite the difference. Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com. Uh, the Phillies have the night off and then a four-game set. Uh, and you're going to get Nola and Wheeler in those first two games. So uh, you got a doubleheader on Saturday. Hopefully you can get the first two games, and then uh, I guess you're all right with the split, right? Yeah, you know what? I think the Phillies should try to take 
take advantage of the Mets while they're down, while they're injured, see if they can take three out of four out of this series. Now, Bailey Falter, I assume, is going to start one of them, one of the doubleheader games yes. as the 27th man. I haven't heard that yet. Could be Christopher Sanchez. I haven't heard it. I think I it's Falter. I'm pretty sure it's Falter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Falter. They haven't officially uh, done that, but, you know, the Phillies have have uh, their other otherwise that you know with Gibson Nola Wheeler, they should be able to, to to take advantage of the Mets while they're down. All right, Frank. Uh, obviously, big weekend with the Mets, and they got a really uh, uh, the schedule really lightens up after this. I mean, they really should take two out of three for. I'm trying to remember the schedule, but I know they got the Reds, the Pirates, uh, Arizona, San Francisco. Um, Man, they've got a bunch of stinkers in there. Miami, Washington. I mean, they play like six or seven straight series against the dregs of uh, the National League. So they should be able to take – I'm only asking for two. I'm not asking you to sweep every single – just give me two out of three in six or seven series. That should get you some separation from that fourth team in the wild card race, you would think. I would think. And by the way, the San, the, the, excuse me, the San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis – Getting a PED suspension, 80 games, that has knocked a lot of wind out of their sails. So uh, I, I think that there's, besides the fact they don't have Tatis, which is a, a, an extra challenge, they were expecting to have him back, but that's demoralizing for a team. Yeah. You know, they, they felt they were gearing up for a big a big, uh, big run here, and Tatis is not with them. I think that that's, that could that that could have some devastating effects to this Padres team. I agree. All right, Frank Close, 97.3ESPN.com. Uh, check out his Phillies mailbag every Tuesday right here on the Sports Bash as the Phillies try to make the playoffs for the first time since 2011. It has been that long. They are currently in, and uh, they got the Mets this weekend. Frank, we'll talk to you next week, pal. Always good to talk to you, Mike. As always, Frank Close, 97.3ESPN.com. He covers the Phillies, and of course, you can read all of his Phillies coverage, including the roster moves they just made today. Bryce Harper going to the 60-day DL. Uh, Brandon Marsh going to the 10-day IL. IL, it's called. The IL just doesn't have the same flow. Sports Bash is brought to you by... American Airlines and Atlantic City International Airport, ACY, now is your one-stop ticket to over 90 domestic and international destinations. Book today at AA.com. I'm Mike Gill. Don't forget to enter to win a road trip. You're running out of days, right? You're running out of days. Next Friday, we're going to be live at Garden State Brewery with all our qualifiers. If you haven't qualified... Go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com, right now and put your name in the hat. Because when I come back, I'm going to announce another qualifying name. Do it! That's next. Now, back to more on 97.3ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 531 on the Sports Bash, 97.3ESPN, the 97.3ESPN free mobile app. So uh, we got another qualifying name. That we're going to throw out to you for you right now. And um, we've got uh, a week from tomorrow, a live show heading over to Garden State Brewery with all our qualifiers. So we'll have a big old party on Happy Hour Friday. I'm looking forward to that, man. I can't wait for that. So our latest qualifier, let's uh, punch him up. This is... uh, Matthew Giuliano. 
So Matthew Giuliano, congratulations to you. You are our latest qualifier. If Matthew Giuliano is out there, give us a buzz. 609-573-3776. We'll get you all signed up. We'll tell you where you need to be, what you need to do. You can get all the details on our website, 973ESPN.com. All right, so let me bring up the poll question. If you think the Phillies are at full strength, still aren't good enough to win the World Series, what is it they lack? Let me know. At Mike Gill Show. What do you think the the listeners, Josh, are uh, saying that they're lacking? I'm going to assume that the poll results probably leaning toward lineup. Because I think a lot of people, their most recent memory is them losing one nothing, and them not scoring many runs against the Mets over the weekend. So it's kind of, I don't want to say overwhelming, but 46% went with starting pitching, which I'm a little surprised by. Because I would think that the starting pitching is the strength of this team, especially when you got Wheeler, Noller, and right down the way Suarez is pitching. And normally the fans have such recency biased. Suarez has been on a streak right now where he's a legitimate number three. So I would think that the starting pitching would be a strength for them. Bullpen has been pitching really well. That's only 15%. And the lineup not being good enough is 38%. So kind of a close race between starting pitching and the lineup not being good enough. You can vote at Mike Gill Show. You have 31 minutes left to vote. Get your vote in. I would have to say that the people who think the starting pitching is the problem, my gut instinct would would just ask them, so do you feel like Ranger Suarez going head-to-head with Scherzer and Nola going head-to-head with DeGrom is not good enough? Do you feel like Syndergaard is, was not a high-quality enough acquisition at the deadline? Like, what is... I would like to know what their rub is, Mike, because you just mentioned the pitching has actually done their job recently. Mm-hmm. Now, um, now, unless they just believe that the pitching as a general principle isn't good enough, I, I can maybe understand that, like, overall five, but we've had the conversation that you can make the argument that Wheeler and Nola are, two, are, are one of the best one-two punches in all of baseball. At the top of a rotation. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. They're not better than Scherzer and DeGrom. No. They are... Are they better than Freed and... Um, uh, who's the Braves' young kid? The other Strider. Kid. Strider, yeah. Are they better than those two? I think they're better than Freed. I think Strider is... I mean, I remember, there. Freed pitched in the World Series last year. He did. But my problem with Freed is, is that... I think Freed is a guy that can be got. You know what I mean? Like, he's not hes not a guy like Scherzer or DeGrom or even Urias, who, like, you look at and you're like, it's going to be a long night. Like, he doesn't give you that vibe. He's like, remember back in the 90s when the, by the time he got to the fourth Braves pitcher, you were like, yeah, he don't got the same cachet as the other three. You know, when it was Danny Nagel or... Steve Avery, hey, those guys won 19, 20 games, had a 2-5 or two, uh, 3 ERA, but you didn't, they didn't put the fear of God in you. And fear, Max Fried doesn't put the fear of God in me. Uh, no, he's not DeGrom. He's not Scherzer. He's not on the level of, the, of those guys. I would agree with that, um, but I would he's even still say pretty he, good. Like a guy like Urias for the Dodgers, I think, is better than Freed. 
Uh, Urias, is, he's would be a guy that, it, it, for whatever reason, he is not as dominant in the regular season, and then he picks it up a notch, I feel like, when he gets to the postseason. He does. And some of these guys do. But um, Max Freed, to me, is not to mention the problem with him for Philly is he's left-handed. Mm-hmm. And you've got Schwarber, Stott, Harper. They're all left-handed, and they are Harper and Schwarber are your two most important bats, and you're both they're both left-handed. Um, so Max Freed is a guy that you want to try to avoid if you can. And obviously, everybody's got good pitching. Yeah. Um, Urias, also left-handed. But somebody just texted this in. This is interesting. Phillies really want to really want the sixth spot if four is not obtained. Have you looked at the format? The five would have to play second place of NL East. Yeah, the the Phillies, if they were the five seed, which is the second wild card, which is where they are right now, they would play the Braves in the first round. If they were the last seed, the last wild card, they would play the Cardinals in the the first round, or the Brewers. Or the Brewers. Yeah, I agree that the Cardinals would be more desirable than the Braves, but then the second round you would be playing the Mets or the Dodgers, if you were the five seed. So we kind of hit on this a little bit yesterday, but I will address the tech. I just don't think there's a path that of greater resistance here. I definitely think you have already shown in the past, I think you're better than the Cardinals. I think, do we all agree that the Phillies are better than the Cardinals are? You're, but you're better than the Cardinals, and you have a, a winning record over them on the season. But I don't like facing the Cardinals in the playoffs. There's something about Wayne Wright and, and Michaelis that still that still worries you. Like, yes, you've beaten them this year. I get it. But there's a part of you that knows who they are and what they're capable of. Yeah. But I think the only team in in the playoffs, Mike, that we're talking about that you're not like overtly afraid of is the Padres, but I don't see a scenario where you play the Padres in the playoffs. Yeah, playing the Padres would be probably a scenario that is unlikely because of. Uh, I think the Braves are going to be four unless they pass the Mets, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Sure. So whoever wins the division would be the division winner. Whoever is number two would be that number. Whoever the second place team in the East. Would be the first wild card. Right. I think the Phillies will be the second wild card. And I think the Padres and or the Brewers will be the third wild card. That's how I kind of see that shaking out. The the NL Central has become a very interesting conversation because there's a possibility that the loser of that division, who we previously thought would make the playoffs, might not make it. So Well, Frank brought up an interesting point in that the Padres, since they've lost Tatis have all of a sudden that kind of rocked them a little bit. That that has kind of knocked them off the wagon, and they have seemingly not gotten back and recovered yet. Yeah, it's shaking their foundations a bit. Yeah, and I think that's a fair um, point. By the way, St. Louis beat Colorado today. Milwaukee mm. has already beaten the Dodgers today. I saw that. So let's take a look at the updated standings because those two games both have an effect on the wild card. And now the Brewers, with that win, they are 
I guess, two full games behind Philadelphia. And they are a game and a half behind the Padres. So the Phillies are a half game up on the Padres. And the Brewers are that next team. So really, the Phillies, their schedule coming up, they should be able to win two out of three games most of the way. Which means the Padres are going to have to start. They're only a half a game behind the Phillies, though, realistically. So... This weekend, with the Phillies playing the Mets, who are the Padres playing this weekend? Let's take a look. This weekend, they will play. They got the Nationals. So, you would think they should take care of business against Washington. So, I don't think there's going to be much separate. The only thing would be, Phillies play New York for four. They play Washington for three. At the end of this weekend, when I come back on Monday, when we're at Ocean Casino... You might see the Phillies and Padres flip-flop. Now, the Brewers just played the Dodgers and took care of them. They beat them two out of three, and they got the Cubs coming up. The, the, the Brewers are interesting. They play the Cubs, right? who stink. They play the Pirates, who stink. They play Arizona for four. Arizona's not very good. They play Colorado for three. Colorado's not very good. They play San Francisco for two. San Francisco's... Hanging on. Then they play Cincinnati. Then they play St. Louis, the Yankees, and the Mets. Then they play Cincinnati, St. Louis, Miami, Arizona. So Milwaukee's got a lot of games that are very winnable. So there's a good argument to be made that they're going to be hanging around this thing for a while as well. So... Philly's got to take care of business. Obviously, they're only half a game up. But to go back to that guy's point, whether you're four or five, or I should say five or six, I really don't think that matters all that much. Just get the hell in, right? Well, I was I was watching the Jeter documentary. One of the things they talk about in the documentary was, you know, Jeter felt like he delivered on his promise when the Marlins got to the postseason and won that series in 2020. And Jeter says in the documentary, I don't give a bleep that it was COVID or not. We got to the playoffs. We won. And people told me we couldn't do it, you know. So, realistically, if you know, you get to the postseason, that's what really matters. Because once you get in, there's so many variables. It's pitching matchups. It's, you know, who's having a hot or cold night. It's maybe even weather can be involved. And the Marlins did win a series that year. They did. And that was part of what Jeter's point was. He's like, I got us there. We won a series. You know, because basically one of the things to talk about in the Jeter documentary is he was basically, he left the Marlins because of a disagreement over the team's, like, future moving forward. And he doesn't say it, but it's insinuated by his wife, Hannah, that, you know, Derek is still like he still is like you know hurt over the fact that he feels like he delivered something and they were like well it's not good enough for us kind of attitude mm-hmm. in the organization not in the, in the community it was almost like um the movie major league where the owner wants them to lose on purpose yeah. so he got them to win and they had to get rid of them uh, yeah, because <laughs> or no I'm saying the uh Oh, the Marlins. Marlins. Had to get rid of them. 
Yeah, well, the Marlins situation, I thought they did a very good job in the documentary of talking about, like, Jeter's, like, part of it. Because, you know, they explained in the documentary, look, Jeter didn't have the money to buy the team outright. So when they, when they announced the buy of the team and that he was CEO, there was, like, this strange thing of, well, you're not really the majority owner, but we named you, like, the main operations guy, like, running the team. Mm-hmm. And there was a kind of almost like a, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come, which was what happens when Bruce Sherman and the other money people tell Derek, we don't like what you're doing. Like, how does that? How does that I would love to go? know, like, what didn't they like? See, that's the thing. They didn't say in the documentary. And I was kind of that was the only thing I was like, I was like, man, do I, do I need to wait like another five, ten years to get that answer? Like, I want to know exactly how that conversation went, because the way Jeter described it in the documentary, he was like, I did my job. I got us to a point. I got us to a place of success. And it's like, for a guy like him to be like that emphatic about it, because you, if you watch all seven episodes, you realize that Derek doesn't get like overly like up and down emotionally. He's a pretty even keel guy. And for him to act the way he did with the Marlins thing. There's a party that looks at it and you're like, what did they say to him after that? Yeah. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what they think the direction of that franchise should be. Did they not think, they might have said though, look, we made the playoffs last year, but it was 60 games. We're not as advanced or as far along as you think we are. Yeah. And, and then they wouldn't be wrong. And they, no, they wouldn't be wrong, but Jeter would, as he did in the documentary, he would turn around and be like, hey, man, we made the playoffs. Like, that that means something. Now, is that in part because he's a former ball player and he looks at it maybe from less of a business perspective? Because Yeah, because he would be wrong in that case. That team was not in, in the next year. They, they did not come close to the playoffs. Because he talks about in the documentary about how people were telling him, like, he so they they show the clip of the Brian Gumble interview with HBO Sports with Jeter. And Gumble suggested, he's like, hey, you know, sometimes, you know, you go through a rebuild and it's going to be tough to win games. And Jeter says to him, to, to Gumble, let me get you on the golf course and I'll show you how bleeped up that mindset is. Like, that's the player in him. That's not the business game. So you have to wonder, you know, for guys like him, is it hard to process the idea that we may not win at times? Uh, guys, not sure how the Cardinals or Milwaukee isn't easier than the Braves. That makes no sense. But we just both said that. Yes, I think that Atlanta is better than the Cardinals. The, the thing that I said was the next game you're playing, the next series you'll be playing the Mets. Right. If you play the Cardinals the way it's set up right now, you would then play the Mets. Correct. If you play the Braves, then you would then play the Dodgers. And I think we both agree that right now the Mets pitching staff, I would not want to face in a playoff the series. Mets are the scariest one. And I would take my shot on playing Braves-Dodgers over Cardinals-Mets. I think the, the Mets, I think the Braves are better than the Cardinals. But I would not want to face DeGrom and Scherzer until I absolutely had to. Right. And that would probably be in the National League Championship Series as opposed to the second round. I'll take my chances with the Dodgers in round number two. So, yes, 
I definitely agree. But as I also said, I hate playing the Cardinals in the playoffs. That team is always, uh, what did McGarry say this week? I've lived my whole life undervaluing the Cardinals and them disappointing me. They always have that team that you just don't believe in, that you just don't buy into, and somehow, some way, they get you. Phillies have matched up well with the Braves this year. But it wasn't so much that the first round series was the issue. It was the the question you trying asked, to get away from the Mets in the second right. round. The question you asked yesterday was, which path would you rather deal with because of what the scenarios are? And part of that conversation is, you know, which of those teams do you, are you afraid of? All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. Coming up next. Now, back to the spree ESPN. All right, getting ready to wrap up the show on this uh, Thursday. Back tomorrow. Happy hour Friday. Mike McGarry, Sal Palantonio, Adam Kaplan. All the good stuff for the Friday edition. Mike, you'll hear you out there. Uh, Mike, it's the lineup in particular. Overall batting average, that's from Bud in Milton, Delaware, on what uh, kind of holding the Phillies back. Yeah, their lineup's not great in terms of batting average, but I got to be honest with you, Bud, I think that's the league now. I'd be surprised. Let me uh, see if I can pull it up real quick. Where the Phillies rank in overall batting average. They are... 250, middle of the pack, number 11 in overall baseball. Uh, the best team in baseball, Toronto, is 262. If you go to the National League only, the Phillies have the sixth best batting average in the National League. Colorado's number one at 262. The Dodgers are 259. The Mets are 258. The Cardinals are 255. The Braves are 252. And then the Phillies are 250. So I think we just have to readjust our thoughts on batting average because a lot of teams uh, have poor batting average. Home runs, Phillies are fourth in uh, the National League. Where they struggle is on base percentage. Their on base percentage as a team is only 313. That's only 11th in the National League. That's behind teams like Washington. Um, Milwaukee, Chicago, San Francisco, Colorado. They got to get better in that spot. Game night's up next. Josh will take you till 6. I'm back tomorrow for Happy Hour Friday. Hopefully you have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Have a great rest of your Thursday.